Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes Hello everyone out there in Geek Vibes Nation, this is your pal Dane Alves with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a weekly show in which me and my partner, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews over the past shows. We got a great show for you guys today. We're going to be going over stuff all over the world of wrestling and of course reviewing the shows of NXT. AEW Dynamite, and WWE SmackDown. But I couldn't do this by myself. My co-host, the man next to me through every wrestling match that we commentate, Christopher Brother Ray Pat. <laughs> you sounded like a mixture of Hulk Hogan and Michael P.S. Hayes when he used to do commentary. <laughs> Shit, I was trying to go for more Ronaldo. I guess I fucked that one up. <laughs> uh, man, I'm doing great. How, uh, I worked until like 3 a.m. last night, so I'm a little draggy, so apologize if I'm uh, not as on point as normal for the listeners out there. But, uh, Dane, how are you, man? How was your week? Uh, long, man. And, uh, yeah, I feel you on the grogginess. I'm trying to chug an iced coffee right now that I got from Dunkin' Donuts. Um, so smart that, you know, raining out instead of just driving to the place, I spend 10 extra dollars uh, and, and tip to get it delivered to me because i'm a lazy fuck so i'm really good at wasting money apparently dude i've done the same thing don't feel bad sometimes you're just like fuck that (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) they've made life too easy and then i feel bad because i made someone drive through the shit that i didn't want to drive through so then i tip extra (laughs) so it's like exactly definitely wasting money (laughs) oh man um but yeah been pretty good uh good week i'm whenever we're we're doing our show normally unlike last week where we did it on a thursday uh to kind of wrap up all the stuff um you know well actually to talk about all the cuts i forgot about that big up to samoa joe uh but saturdays are always nice because it's like i got another night to be able to sleep in and um you know there's sunday where unless i have to do some chores after that i don't have to do anything this is a completely different retrospect than I thought about 10 years ago with the uh, course of the weekend. Uh, Chris, what the hell's happening? I'm 35. I'm getting old. We're both getting old. Uh, fuck. We're, we're both old as – as we talked about on the last show, we're both getting old as fuck. <laughs> that's, that's really what it is, I think. Um, I feel you, man. Getting those couple extra hours of sleep, that's, that's a game changer. It's a whole new world. Yep. Well, unfortunately, uh, due to stuff going on, you know, me and Chris, uh, we've always kind of promote that we're hip hop fans and, uh, we got two big names after DMX passed away. Uh, first, you know, black Rob, uh, who's known for like, whoa, as that single, but also just a great rapper by himself, uh, passed away tragically last week. And I don't mean to kind of just move on from that but kind of like even though i love dmx um someone that really hit me hard shock g 
the the front man, the producer, the basically the leader, and also keyboardist played every instrument of Digital Underground. And people will know the Humpty dance. They'll know the character Humpty. That was actually Shock G just doing an impression um, of a new character that he would just put into his rap. But, you know, it really goes down to me of me hearing when I was very, very young, not the Humpty dance, but same song. And it's one of my favorite hip hop songs of all time. And uh, it introduced Tupac Shakur to the world because they were both from uh, Oakland Bay. Uh, yes. You know, he definitely came over from Cali to New York and went back to California, if anyone's wondering about Tupac. But uh, just, I mean, the man tried to mix the hip-hop of his era with Parliament Funkadelic and Slime the Family Stone and, and a lot of the great funk bands of the 70s. So, wow. It just, can we stop? Like, I'm not, I don't want to say anything bad to the rappers out right now, but... We keep on getting shittier and shitty rappers, and uh, the legends keep on falling off. So, another sad mix, Chris, of uh, getting old, I would say. But R.I.P. to the man, Shock G, a.k.a. Humpty. Yeah, much much like you, it's the same thing. I mean, my, intro- my introduction was definitely the Humpty dance, but once you dig into that catalog, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Um, I'm not as big into him as, as you sound like you are, but there is one great interview that I've seen him do in the past where he's talking about different rappers' flows and how they make their sound. And he goes into like Nas, Biggie, and Tupac, and he compares Tupac to MLK. Uh, I watched that again last night, and it's absolutely great because he gives you like comparisons of why that music works which I absolutely love. I mean, that means that you have a great mind for music if you can break down an artist's flow and compare it to something like Tupac being compared to MLK and, and giving an actual example from the I Have a Dream speech in a Tupac song and showing the similarities between the two in that flow. That kind of stuff shows you have a great mind for music. So another tragic loss to the hip-hop game, man. I'm not as down on modern hip-hop as you are, but <laughs> I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I like certain artists. Uh, it's just hard for me to find them. And it seems like I'll say like a new artist, but they've actually been out for like 10 years. So, um, you know, it just, I, I can't believe I'm going to sound so old when I say this. I miss the days where, and this is what people used to complain about, but I miss sampling. I miss hearing horns from a 1920s jazz album mixed in with the guitar rift of a 1970s rock band with uh, the drums of, of John Bottom re-digitalized. And even when they got computers, it just seems like the beats are kind of fine a majority of the time, not trying to say everything. And uh, the lyric, the lyrical content is not there for a lot of them. Um, but, you know, then there's always Tyler Creator and, and uh, I'm trying to think of like uh, more people... Well, Nipsey Hussle, I thought, was a damn good rapper, and he was kind of more modern-styled. And I'm uh, controversially, I'm, I'm a fan of Tom McDonald and uh, just certain rap artists I still like. But then again, some of these guys have been out for the last 10 years. I just hate mumble rap. I really hate it. I fucking, I can't stand it. And I'm kind of glad it's dying off, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we're both old, but we have to also go back and think about artists like, I don't know, 
bone crusher and some of the terrible stuff that came out during the time period of, of uh, <laughs> these artists that we've been talking about the past few weeks. Because, I mean, there's also there was also a lot of bad rap during that time period. The, the problem I have is the quote-unquote bad stuff becoming the majority and more so the commercial success because let's let's let, let's put it how it is any artist rap artist rock artist i mean the black keys kind of just literally left their label finally and we're like fuck being on a major label we're done you know it seems like it's got to be that cotton candy style easy to digest instead of getting a steak let's go to mcdonald's real quick and get our food sort of thing that makes me dislike but then again like i said i'm old so my music generation is gone it just it, it was better than yours and you know it for all of you gen zers listening love you uh did you just kind of mjf promo on the, <laughs> the music industry there yeah 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 i i kind of i kind of did but um just to get back to it check out if you want to check out digital underground i would check out this is an ep release uh, just an awesome name for a uh, an album that has same song on it, and uh, I mean they got great stuff. Future Rhythm, um, Sex Packets is a weird album, but they were just they're very original, very took much Parliament Funkadelic, mix it in with hip hop, a lot of singing, a lot of great keyboard stuff, and uh, yeah, it's there if you want to listen to it. R.I.P. Shock G. Uh, hopefully we don't lose any more big hip-hop artists anytime soon. I think we've had enough as of recently. From MMF Doom all the way to Shock G, what the fuck? Let's, uh, let's get over this hump. And do the Humpty, right? That's a good way to end it, right? Uh, yeah, let's move along. All right, all right, all right. Let's get into the news. So um, Mickey James is really happy about her package that got sent for the rest of her stuff at the Performance Center. Um, if you guys don't know about that, she tweeted about, thank you, WWE, for sending me back the rest of my, you know, stuff. And it was placed in a box, placed in a trash bag. Um, I'm, I'm assuming the whole entire concept was they weren't trying to get it wet, but I just don't think someone of Mickey James stature, you don't do that. And, uh, you know. Very quickly to harp on it, Stephanie McMahon and Triple H both apologized and said that they fired someone. And Wrestling Inc. reported that the person they let go, who apparently was the one who did it or in charge of setting back or said stuff, was Mark Carano. So the guy that usually calls people to fire them was fired by WWE. Don't know if this is the case of a scapegoat. I don't think personally Stephanie or Triple H had anything to do with that or probably even knew about it. But still... Bad situation, nonetheless, and a not a, a, a good look uh, for a past, for a future Hall of Famer and a past women's legend like Mickey James uh, for that type of treatment. Chris, would you agree with me? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100% because it's more than likely it wasn't just ring gear and stuff. I mean, it could be personal effects like, you know, photos of her family or whatever she would have in her locker. Um, kind of a garbage ass thing to do to somebody. But and I, trying not to get it wet as that being an excuse, I've seen that floating around. Don't you just double box it and put normal shipping material and try to package the stuff up nice to someone 
who's like a what seven time women's world champion and an absolute legend as a as a current eight year uh, well out of the no no actually i'll say it six years out of the eight years i've worked for my company i've been their shipping manager i would never because of the visual do that there's definite ways to get around that to make it look more professional and this is customers for t-shirts for bars and shit this is not one of the biggest female legends that have been a part of your company ever you know what I'm saying? So to me, there's no excuse. Even if Mark didn't personally do it, if he had any handling and saying, ah, fuck it, put it in a trash bag, then whoever fucking did it was an idiot. And that should never have happened. Just yeah, And, I, and we'll, we're never going to know who actually packaged this stuff up, but I'm assuming that they, you know, if they get fired, it's just going to, you're not going to hear anything about it. Right. So that's kind of a weird thing. Mark Carano, get, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He was the head of talent relations. Because I remember him being on like Total Divas and Total Bellas quite a bit as their primary contact. Well, um, actually, John Laurinaitis took back that role as of recently in the last, like, I think, month. So he's been more, I guess, working for him, which is a whole entire unfortunate situation once again. And uh, still the guy, like I said, that kind of has a shitty job of having to call wrestlers to let them know that they're gone, they're fired, um, you know. Uh, this last two times. Yeah, I forgot that John Laurinaitis was back. Actually, um, I'm. I mean, why I would you to... remember? Yeah, it's that. Uh, that's not like talent relations have been going very well in the WWE as of late. <laughs> so I'm not surprised someone got canned for that. Um, this isn't the first time they've done this, though, because multiple wrestlers have come out and said, "Yeah, I kind of got my stuff in the same way." They just, you know, Mickey was the first one, I guess, to post a photo of it on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, shout out to all the people out there that were arguing with me about the garbage bag thing being shitty on Twitter. Because, like, an hour later, Triple H came out and said that it was shitty. So, if 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 he thinks it's shitty and Steph thinks it's shitty, then I, I feel like I won that Twitter flame war. If it, if it was on Twitter, you probably definitely want it because most of the people on Twitter are idiots. Besides you and me, of course. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, it's it's it was very insulting just to Mickey. I mean, I get it, but I don't know. It's it's like the and the thing is, is they've done this in the past. Like we've talked about CM Punk getting fired, right? So it's hard not to equate those things and the way certain people have been let go in the past to this action where you send someone their stuff in a trash bag. At least at least in my mind. Yep, I agree with you. You know, this is a little extra thing I kind of want to throw in there. And I'll like to close out the argument. Me and Chris obviously think that that was stupid to do. And apparently they went through the actions to get rid of the people involved. Uh, so I guess big up on WWE for actually taking accountability for something. Don't know if you really had a choice in the matter, but it was big of Steph and Triple H to, um, you know, mention it and correct it. And uh, yeah, that shouldn't happen. That's stupid. But you mentioned a name um, that I kind of was talking about based on an idea that I believe it was either Mark Henry or, or Bully Ray had on, uh, on, Oh, man, what the hell's the name? Uh, Busted Open, their podcast, talking to Dave LaGreca about the Samoa Joe thing. Since we don't know what's the exact reason why 
you know, Joe wasn't wrestling, even though he said he was cleared, what was going on with all that. Um, seeing his future and seeing that, you know, he has pretty much options to go a lot of places, even if he doesn't end up wrestling. Maybe he wants to do one or two couple matches. Uh, and based off the interaction with him and CM Punk, who have been good friends within the industry since their beginnings, actually, I remember barely knowing about either of them, but the tape trading world, you know, back, I want to say 2003 to 2004, maybe, maybe a little bit later, maybe younger, I don't remember, of hearing of these matches between CM Punk and Samoa Joe. Now, say what you will about CM Punk, and there's a lot to be said, um, personality-wise and everything. Bully had an idea of, you know, you have all these companies, WWF, WWE would not be included. Uh, but you have all these companies that are kind of working together. And, you know, if you wanted to do career on the line, um, if there was anyone that would possibly do a last match or convince CM Punk to a last match, it could be someone like a Samoa Joe. And this is all, all right, here we go again, style shit. But the way he broke it down... And I try to talk about on Tom Clark's main event. Great show. You guys should check it out. Tom Clark does great articles for us. But it wasn't really translating well uh, within the messages because I wasn't able to explain what, what Bully was going for. He was saying, treat it like a boxing event. Treat it like USC. Get all these, like, get Ring of Honor. You know, if it's both of them, their last match, they publicize it as that. Put it on Fight TV. Have an actual conference call. Like, set it up like UFC or boxing would do it and do a media thing afterwards, a media scrum like New Japan does, and really treat it like a boxing event. The main event being if CM Punk's career is just on the line, or if, if the career is on the line and the idea is Samoa Joe might wrestle again, he wins the match regardless. But if it's both of their last match, who cares? They can figure that out. That's the headline. And then you pepper in, you know, all these companies providing wrestlers if they'd like to do this, where they could all make money potentially on the smaller cards. But I thought of the idea, and knowing the indie audience, knowing that we have Ring of Honor, knowing that we have you know, Impact, that we have AEW, MLW, and a lot of them work well with each other to an extent, the idea of this in general really intrigued me because it brings a sense of realism back to wrestling. And even past just the idea of if Punk wanted to have a last match to Mojo, they have done matches a million times in the past. I'm sure they could have one last big epic if they wanted to. But building it up more like a boxing event and a UFC event, if they were to do that on fight, Chris, do you think that it would garnish money from people to want to watch it? And do you think that obviously wrestling's, you know, a work that they could actually present it more of like a boxing event with maybe AEW providing a match to be a part of the card and Ring of Honor, whatever? Do you think that that's actually a possibility outside of the CM Punk? you know, Samoa Joe overall idea for the main event, just trying something like that. I think it's a really cool concept. And I think that whoever it was, if it was Mark Henry or Bully Ray, they really had something going there. I just wanted to bring it up on air. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great idea, and it's already proven to work because that's how AEW became AEW with All In, essentially. I mean, they didn't build it like a boxing match, but... They said, hey, we're going to do this pay-per-view. We're going to fund it ourselves and see how much money we make off of it. And that's how they got, you know, that's basically the story of AEW to some extent. Um, I think that would be awesome. And especially, you know, 
you're not going to lose anything if you have if you put your own talent on and have a big match on this pay-per-view. The only thing that gets weird is like split revenue. So like if AEW's lean, yep. you know, giving out talent, you know, Fight TV is going to take I think they take 40% of the pay-per-view value. If I'm remembering right, I am drawing this off the top of my head. It's been a while and they recently just got bought. So that number could even be different now, but then you have like if you start involving other companies, how much of a split are they going to want off that pay-per-view, and when does it not make sense to do it as opposed to just those two having a match in a in a, another federation on a pay-per-view? Um, but I mean, if that's something you could even, with... I was going to say you could even do it necessarily just Ring of Honor just does this as a, like a thank you to Joe and Punk because they were so huge for the beginning of their career, but you know they've already kind of started with this more realistic approach with their product that carpens back to, you know, their glory days. So, but, you know, just go for more of a boxing concept. It, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, this, it necessarily doesn't have to just be a, an all-in type of concept. You could literally just do a Ring of Honor event, but treat it like a boxing event coming up or UFC. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's like you need the Stone Cold Steve Austin rock build where they're not necessarily – having to touch each other like you knew it was coming for months and months or or like here's a better example conor mcgregor versus floyd mayweather if you build the promos out between cm punk and samoa joe for months that lead up to an event and they don't wrestle until that event i mean i would be down to see that and that's essentially how you would treat it in boxing right do a weigh-in do some press conferences um make it a big deal put it on twitch and youtube etc there i mean there's tons of ways to do stuff like that now it would be very interesting to see a company try it in america uh with wrestling japan we kind of get it with the press conferences they have um but i think for what you're talking about you're looking at like a, a like almost like a conor mcgregor or at least that's what i'm assuming they were talking about more like a conor mcgregor floyd mayweather build to that paper you know their boxing yep. pay-per-view yeah I, that's exactly what i think they were going for that's why it just sounded so interesting. It's really treating it, like you said, you do promos with them both doing, if they want to cut them online and put it on Twitter or whatever, or if this is established under just the, the umbrella of Ring of Honor, say in that scenario, then they can obviously do the promos there. But it's the press conferences, it's the live stuff. That's obviously all a work that's really just building up the pay-per-view and you don't let them touch until the actual thing. It's, an, it's a very, regardless if you have Joe versus Punk, which... I think in a way this would be a good way for – because the thing with Tom, Tom was saying that he thought it was a perfect exit with Punk, and I don't necessarily agree with him on that. We were kind of disagreeing on stuff, and that, that was admitted on the show between us. I I would think that getting fired – basically saying fuck it, getting a staff infection from a stupid spot, getting hurt constantly by people like Ryback, and then getting fired on your wedding day after you just like completely give up isn't the best way to go out. I, you know, I think one last match would be something. Samoa would be that person that could be like, dude, we've done this in our sleep. We can put on one last match. You haven't wrestled in years, but I'm sure you'll be fine if you train a little bit. It's a different perspective. And not only that, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I, I don't care who it is. If you put dollar bills in front of someone, it's going to be – it's going to be hard to turn that down in this type of aspect. You can say what you want about CM Punk with the whole UFC thing. He knew that he was underqualified, and he was basically going off of name recognition. If you think that he took those fights uh, not for the payday itself, mostly, 
Uh, he can save the experience, but let's say, let's say it. He was not experienced enough. I just think that m- money definitely can sweeten the deal, if you will, for something like this to get Punk to come back for one last match. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen an influx of weird events like this with celebrities like Jake Paul and Logan Paul going against other celebrities. And to some extent, CM Punk is probably the biggest name in wrestling outside of John Cena in the past 20 years. Like, if you ask a non-wrestling fan if they know who CM Punk is, they probably know who CM Punk is. Do you get what I'm saying? So, I mean, you could even make it like kind of a multiple type event if you wanted to there's there's so many different ways to handle it where you could you know you can have a wrestling match you can have a ufc match you could have you could do whatever you wanted to on that card it's just who wants to put the money up for it if samoa joe and cm punk wanted to put up the money to just have one 60 minute or 30 minute match or something and that's the pay-per-view and they charge like six bucks for it i'm sure that everyone would benefit from that if done properly i know the problem that all in ran into and the reason that ring of honor was so heavily involved was having a connection to fight TV um, and having a production crew that would be able to pull that off. So that's probably the biggest obstacle there. So, you know, I would assume this would end up going through some sort of federation, but I, it's, it's a really cool idea. I like it. I would love to just not, you know, cause wrestling has a, a very typical buildup most of the time uh, where you're going to have interactions in the ring and such, but if it's just Samoa Joe and CM Punk cutting promos for three or four months, and then here's the match, that would be something unique we haven't seen in a very long time. Yeah, I thought we didn't really, and I'll probably regret this later, but I, I thought we didn't really have a lot to talk about. I remembered that on the spot. Uh, so, because you, you, you said Punk's name with the whole release thing. So, just thought it was a, uh, a cool idea. I wish I, I could give credit exactly who it was. I know it was someone, one of the wrestlers from Busted Open. It might have been Tommy, honestly. But I thought it was a cool concept, very out-of-the-box way of thinking, and something that you could see happening, kind of like you're saying with the celebrity stuff. Those are those are getting money. So if you could figure out a way to split it, I think the money would definitely come back in a big way. But uh, I guess that's it for me, and um, maybe we'll see something. Probably not, but... A cool idea nonetheless. Honestly, if I was bullied, maybe I'd be presenting this. If if it was him that said that, like I say, I watch Bust or I listen to Busted Open every day, so they kind of trail into each other. Besides Dave LaGreca crying constantly on the microphone and getting very upset and almost having a heart attack. But um, you know, I would actually be presenting this, like go to Ring of Honor and be like, why don't you guys do this? See if this could happen, or go into whoever. But maybe we'll see it. Probably won't. Still a cool idea that we can fantasize in our heads and then cry when it doesn't happen, Chris. Oh, pro wrestling. I mean, it's no different than any other time we talk about CM Punk. Uh, A cool idea that probably won't happen, right? (laughs) Basically, basically, definitely agree with that. All right, our next article, really cool news. Another person that you can include in something like this because of the fact of his past with the UFC. Filthy Tom Lawler defeated Ring of Honor's Brody King uh, to win not only the New Japan Cup USA tournament, um, but also become the first New Japan uh, strong openweight champion. So that will be primarily the heavyweight title for their New Japan strong uh, American branch that's going over here. Uh, Shibata's transferred over to the dojo in, in LA a while ago. He's been teaching people there. 
trying to get new talent out of there, and they have their show set with people like Tama Tonga, Tongalo, um, Kenta's over here. Uh, obviously, they use people from Ring of Honor. Tom Lawler has been making a big presence there, still working with MLW. But now, Filthy Tom is the first champion of this belt. I think still it's weird to condense the Intercontinental, which was probably arguably up there with the light heavyweight as the second most prestigious belt after the IWGP heavyweight belt. So they combine those two. They still have the never openweight championship, which Tanahashi currently has. And now this is another openweight champion, but really the world champion of the U.S. side of New Japan, which is a smart idea. And a first champion, if it's going to be someone, filthy fucking Tom Lawler, hell yeah, dude. I need to go back and watch that match. I'm sure it's brutal, but I'm very happy for Tom to, for winning the tournament and New Japan trusting him to be basically their heavyweight champion over on their American platform. Yeah, I, I really need to get caught up on it because I've heard the show has been pretty damn good. But I, I'm excited for Tom Lawler, and this man has a very busy schedule because I believe... Next week, next weekend's the 29th, right? Uh, yeah. So he has a he has a actual, I believe, well, he has a PFL fight against Antonio Carlos Jr., which is more of like an MMA thing. <laughs> right after winning this title, so that's going to be wow. interesting. Um, very cool. They're in like I guess it's you know they do a season with PFL, so it's season three in the light heavyweight bracket. Um, and they had the original fighter he was set to face had to pull out, but, uh, interesting stuff. That's, that's a very busy guy. It's cool to see him involved in new Japan because I would love to see filthy Tom take the, the trek overseas and, and, and have a run there. Uh, I've seen a crazy match he had with Minoru Suzuki at, I think it was, uh, what's the, what's the bar fight stuff? Sport. Blood sport. There you go. Um, so I, I want to see more of that. I would love to see him mix it up with some other guys over there. Uh, I like what they've been doing. It's just we have so much wrestling. In general, I kind of have to pick and choose what I'm going to watch at this point. So maybe one day I'll get caught up, Dane. Well, man, you know, Tom's definitely been making his credentials known. He's past MLW uh, heavyweight champion. Lost that to Jacob Fatu, who's had it ever since. But... You know, still works with MLW, still works for Bloodsport, is now a part of the American uh, New Japan Strong, a lot of potential matches, and doing out stuff outside of pro wrestling, like you're saying, in that scenario. Uh, good for him, man. Uh, I think he's gold, man. He's, he's, he's relatable because he comes off real, but his sarcasm and all the, like, the heel maneuvers that he does definitely harpens back to, like, an 80s heel. And I like it. And he's got legitimacy from being a past MMA guy. So, or still current, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he's a badass. Yeah, the longest suspended person from UFC ever, Tom Lawler. <laughs> that should he should put that as his moniker when he comes <laughs> out to the ring. Um, yeah, real quick, I did bring this up. I said there would probably, as I've heard, there'd been there'd been talks, and, and Meltzer reported on it. There'd been talks about a TV deal coming for a wrestling federation, and that wrestling federation turned out to be MLW, so they're going to be on Vice. Yeah, I forgot about that. Big deal for MLW. Uh, unfortunate to find out that uh, Mance Warner had left as of recently, 
I got out of his contract. Uh, I don't know what that means for his future. Maybe he's doing something bigger. Maybe he went back to doing more hardcore stuff. I think that he's got a lot of talent. But, I mean, the guys that they have over there, the Von Eriks with Kevin Von Erick, with that prestige in the tag division, Jacob Fatu, a part of the Analoa family, um, you know, being their world champion, Alexander, Alexander Hammerstone, which... You know, if if people like Jim Ross, Jim Cornette, and lots of other people are saying that this guy's the future, think that's a big thing. Probably going to get the championship from Fatu. Uh, they got they got you know La Parca, the original one. Uh, so many good Mil Martez, uh, Selena De La Renta being the manager of that whole entire group. Uh, they got a great product. They try to keep it sports based, but they still have more of a fun. Style. It, it very much reminds me of combinations of of elements that they do in New Japan, mixed with like the Lucha Underground type of concept altogether. Uh, not 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 it being a TV show like that presentation, but it's an awesome show, um, and I always enjoy it when I get a chance to watch it. That is, but hey, man, Vice TV's not just the uh, Stoner Network. We're getting a lot of wrestling on that thing, and I'm really looking forward to the Dark Sides of the Moon this uh, th- coming up soon. <laughs> the dark sides of the moon. Me too, bud. Uh, uh ring dark, dark ring. <laughs> dark ring between, between the ropes. Uh, dark side of is it dark side of the ring? I think it is dark side it of the ring. It is dark right? side of the ring. God damn it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. And they've done like the the documentaries we've talked about before. Um. I can't. I'm blanking on the name. The wrestlers. But the, I believe it was called. The ones with uh, Darby Allen, Austin Theory, and whatnot. Yeah, um, I, there's something there, man, <laughs> with with Vice TV. I guess they appreciate wrestling, so they're going to put MLW on. I'm excited to see what that looks like, because I wonder if they're going to do the same production they're doing now, or if Vice is going to you know, actually come in and try to film the show, because that could make MLW better, honestly. I just want to know, are, are they trying to say... That all of us wrestling fans are just giant stoners. Is that what they're trying to try to say right now? <laughs> Is that all of us just just smoke weed or something while we're watching the you know the, the sport of wrestling? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but for the love of God, we need Action Bronson to show up in MLW. That would be <laughs> be fucking great. All right, well, I'm down for that. But uh, also another thing kind of going to biographies, man. What did you think of the Stone Cold's The Stone Cold Steve Austin biography on A&E. What? So the thing I liked about it the most is getting his actual family involved and having it be more from Stone Cold's story point of telling the story as opposed to some of the past documentaries I've seen. A lot of the stuff I've already seen because WWE did – I actually say I have two VHSs. I actually sent you the links for when we were watching it because we kind of watched it at the same time. Um, I've heard a lot of the stories, like how he got the name Stone Cold, like the you know the Eric Bischoff stuff. A lot of that stuff is public knowledge, but like hearing about his high school career um, and then deciding to become a wrestler after he didn't like school and riding the road and eating what was it canned. Once you run out of tuna, you just have raw potatoes. So Stone Cold's just in a, a shitty hotel Ugh. eating raw potatoes and tuna. 
like that kind of stuff was new and really inventive. And uh, the director that does those documentaries, he also did Michael Jordan's Last Dance, right? And did the Andre documentary. One of the producers, I believe, was the one that was attached to those other two. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's I mean, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot better than some of the WWE documentaries that have come out as of late. But uh, it was it was cool, like hearing Vince like in an interview. That's always a, a cool thing, <laughs> cool thing to see. Uh, I think you pointed out the Kevin Owens, the Kevin Owens section. He was only there for a short section, which was really cool. Um, there's just a lot of good stuff in that documentary. I highly recommend people go watch it. I actually sent it to my my uncle, who's not big into big into wrestling anymore he kind of was as a kid but he obviously likes stone cold so i was like you got to check this out because it was just a good watch even if you're not a wrestling fan i think you can find enjoyment out of it because it's it's stone cold and he's a great damn storyteller to begin with and i appreciated all the points of views like you said vince mcmahon uh triple h who was one of his biggest rivals they got the rock Seeing The Rock get emotional, and then Austin also getting emotional about their last match and how much that meant to them. And, uh, you know, they they really, they got everyone. Um, I think that they could have used a little bit more of Sean to kind of transition that period uh, of him getting the belt, uh, Stone Cold. They had him in for one section, but that's not that big of a deal. I hated, if, if I were to have any problems, and I really like the documentary, I really like the family stuff, I wish that they really went over the significance of WrestleMania 13 and that match with him and Brett and how that really turned and flipped things uh, forever, basically, with wrestling in general and had a little bit of Brett's insight on that. That would have been good. I even, I can't believe I'm saying this, I could have used a little bit of Vince Russo who had those ideas that were crazy with the Zambonis and stuff in your late 97 to 98 before he went to WCW to fuck all that shit up. Uh, you can say what you want about Vince, but he was trying to do those out of the box. Basically who cares about wrestling, but big fucking event things. And he contributed a lot towards that. Something positive, I guess I could say about his career. Uh, but I loved the, I like that everyone was involved in it, man. I mean, you know, other than the ones I said, undertaker was on there and I thought the biggest thing, outside of the family stuff, which is really good to find out. Not only that, but also here, and he's said this uh, uh, on his podcast, stuff like that, the remorse that Austin has, like him getting troubled by the fact that they were in uh, England for so long because his ex-wife was English, that when he talked to him, they had an English accent, and he was like, wow, I've I've fucked, you know, I've, I haven't been a part of their life so long that, you know, this is happening, and how that kind of blew him away, but... His troubles on the road, becoming big, coming up with the Austin thing, and just being the biggest. I mean, like Vince said, I think he's the biggest star, uh, most lucrative star specifically for WWE, period. Uh, I mean, The Rock might be someone that went on to Hollywood and became a huge name or might be the hugest name outside of it. Hulk Hogan really commercially made it successful during his time period. Ric Flair might be the greatest worker of his era. But when it comes to WWE specifically, bringing them out of just nothing, like they were dying, and bringing them and putting them not only on the top and being WCW, but something that was rivaling Monday Night Football, Austin became a fucking icon, and he really inevitably made The Rock. I mean, I think The Rock, you know, him and Vince 
Great rivalry, very important. Him and The Rock is almost equally as important, especially for Rock's career and turning him into the star that he became for having that rival. And uh, I really liked it. It was a good, it was a good documentary. Very insightful with a lot of the stuff. You learned some stuff. You knew some stuff, but it was wrapped up with a bow pretty perfectly at the end of it. I would say. I just, it sucks. It's always going to be that factor, Chris. Of you know, it's. I'm glad that he pulled the plug when he wanted to. He obviously didn't want to completely but he had to he knew he didn't have that much time but man if we just had one more of those fucking Austin matches just one more you know yep there'll always be that what if he would have came back and wrestled punk during that run for sure for sure at least for me because that that seems like that was the closest to him ever coming back and having an actual match in recent memory uh, great documentary. I will say I had one huge problem with this documentary, Dane. What was that, sir? No, my way by Limp Biscuit. What the hell, dude? <laughs> you can talk about the Rock yeah. in Austin. <laughs> That's that video package is such a huge part of the buildup, like to Rock in Austin. I when I think Rock versus Austin, that song just starts playing in my head. Yeah, I also thought they could have gotten Mike Tyson on it. I'm sure that would have been expensive, but that was also a big deal. I would have loved to have heard his perspective more so within that documentary. Um, but, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, or I'm looking forward to it. I, I thought it was great. I'm looking forward to the uh, Roddy Roddy Piper one coming out this weekend. They got some some big ones. We got the Dark Side of the Moon Ring, or whatever the fuck is, is called. The uh, That's coming out, too. So we got a lot of documentaries. I'm just... I know... I know Darkseid's going to do a very, very to-the-point uh, episode about the Ultimate Warrior. I wonder how how uh, how nice they'll be on the A&E one that they're doing of him, if there'll be a completely contrast between the Dark Side of the Ring version of the Ultimate Warrior compared to the A&E one that they put out. Maybe they'll be honest. I don't know. I mean, Dark Side of the Ring... I, I... I feel like they might go pretty hard on Ultimate Warrior. So I'm assuming that with WWE being involved with these A&E productions, it will not be it will not be as bad. And also, we've already seen the Warrior documentary they did where they kind of bury the Warrior a little bit. Um, if you remember, yep. like, was it seven or eight years ago? Jericho was on it and a bunch of other people making fun of the Warrior. But does the Warrior's career... It's such a short run. Does it deserve like five documentaries? I think it deserves the one coming from Dark Side of the Ring that we'll see soon. <laughs> I'll just put it up. <laughs> yes. It's just going to be a bunch of people talking about how shitty it was to work with the Warrior. Especially if they have like Jim Cornette on and a bunch of other, other guys from that time period that had to deal with them coming back to WWF. Um, I am excited to hear them talk about like uh, with the air, when he had the airbrush because he was like slightly out of shape when he came back to WWF. You remember that? Mm-hmm. That'll be uh, that'll be funny to hear them talk about. But I mean, you know, Dark Side of the Ring is kind of its own thing versus these AEW documentaries. I mean, they do really try to give you like the gritty side of someone. And I'm assuming a big majority of the Dark Side of the Ring, and I haven't heard anything, but I'm assuming a lot of that is going to be those YouTube rants that Ultimate Warrior had kind of towards the end of his life. 
I, I assume that will definitely be peppered in there. I do say that even though it will probably be cleaner than if Darkseid, I guess, were to have gone into it. Like, they like to really go into things, like we said. But the Piper one coming out this weekend, I think it's going to be good. Uh, just seeing uh, his daughter on there and talking about it's Jim Cornette said there's a lot of parallels with the family life and, you know, the fame becoming a big thing between specifically when he was putting over Austin's biography. But with Piper's is that there's going to be similarities about how you get addicted to the road, basically, and that's your life. And uh, it fucks up a lot of shit. But, you know, that high that that feeling that you get of being that top guy, uh, you know, Piper is one of my favorites, one of the best villain. You know, the, everyone goes back to him being a heel, but even though I've watched a lot of that and I can definitely agree with that, I knew him more so as a baby face, Rowdy Wright Piper. That was just this crazy guy that you got in the ring that just beat the living shit out of each other and was, you know, taking uh, his, his fire extinguisher and putting out that one radio disc jockey on, on WrestleMania, you know, he was a maniac. He always was. But I'm looking forward to them running down uh, his accolades and also some of the stuff that happened within his career that wasn't so positive. Yeah, my wife is super hyped about this because Roddy Piper is her favorite wrestler of all time. So it's going to be exciting to watch that with her. And I'm sure it's going to be really, really good. There's a lot of stories you can tell about Roddy Piper. I mean, his career stretched from like the late 70s until – what, 98, 99 he was in WCW? There's a lot of meat on that yeah. bone. So I, I'm excited to hear what they have to say. I, I'm looking forward to that documentary. Do, do you remember who the other wrestlers they're doing? They did something on Mick Foley, but I haven't watched that because it's called like WWE Treasures or something to that effect. Well, that show is about finding different um, things from wrestling. Like on, on the episode with Mick Foley, they went and found his original... Uh, Mick Foley like gear uh, when he was Mankind the brown like shirt they knew that someone had it I don't know how Mick I don't know how any of them lose their stuff but that tends to happen a lot especially with Ric Flair and his a million robes but that's more looking at um they're 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 finding stuff that they want to put in their Hall of Fame one of the big ones coming up is uh, finding Steve's uh, vest his original Stone Cold Steve Austin vest uh, so it's it's an interesting show I haven't checked it out but it's it's separate than these documentaries, but I can pull up the uh, list of episodes. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So it's kind of almost like a uh, an American Pickers-style show yes. or for the YouTube fans out there, a video game chasers-type show where you're they're looking for these collectible items. Oh, that's neat. I, I just saw it when I was looking through A&E's app, and I was like, why is Mick Foley separated out as a, not a documentary? So that makes way more sense now, Dane. Thank you for clarifying this for me. Nope. No problem. There, so the, the ones that we, we have, uh, Austin just came out. Piper's coming out this weekend. But after that, all of them should be awesome. We have Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, Booker T, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Mick Foley, and The Ultimate Warrior, like I said. So I, I'm really looking forward to all these documentaries. I like learning more about their family stuff and, and, and realistic stuff that – I mean, kind of mimics the wrestler a lot of times with what you see that wrestlers have to sacrifice for their career. Um, but uh, yeah, that all some of my favorite wrestlers in there, and then also Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, I was. Uh, that's kind of why I was curious on that list because when you were talking about like the Tyson and kind of the Bret Hart turning point, 
it almost seems like maybe they save some of that stuff for, you know, for Bret Hart and Austin, for Bret to talk about and for Sean yeah. to talk about, you know, dropping the title to Austin and having his back problems. So it, at least they're if they're doing it that way, which I think would be the way I would go, you're not seeing the same moment a bunch of times through multiple documentaries. So maybe that's why they did that. But th- those that's a great ass lineup. I don't know about the Ultimate Warrior. I think maybe maybe you could have found someone like Jeff Hardy, who's on your current roster to do, or, or someone else other than the Ultimate Warrior. But I mean, if it if this documentary comes out and everyone's like, "Man, Ultimate Warrior's a real asshole," but your award's called the Warrior Award, you're gonna look kind of fucking silly. Hey, you know, maybe uh, shed light of stuff. But uh, just to wrap this up, Dark Side of the Ring, their episode, since we were talking about it. Uh, it's going to start off on May 6th with the episode of Brian Pillman. It's a two-parter, so we'll go over, obviously, his early career and then his later career after his uh, his accident and his career in WWE leading up to his un- untimely death. Uh, the next episode is the ultra-violence of Nick Gage. So I think this is going to be their new Jack episode. Uh, Collision in Korea, which is when WCW had to... Uh, they had a big event in Korea, and then there was a lot of shit that happened, and... People were held up there for a while, so that was kind of a crazy incident. Uh, Becoming Warrior, uh, so that will be all about the Ultimate Warrior. In the Shadow of Grizzly Smith, so that will be about uh, Jake Jake Roberts and his father. And the last one will be about the Dynamite Kid. So out of all of those, I'm kind of looking forward to the Nick Gage one the most because I we saw I, I've seen as you sent me earlier this week. I should say there was some Moxley's going to be on that one talking about some of their CZW stuff, which will be interesting. Um, the Jake the Snake one is, depending on how it's presented, I've just seen so much on Jake the Snake, and he's been kind of open even going back to, uh, to what is Beyond the Mat. So we've seen a lot on Jake the Snake already, so I'm curious on how they're going to handle that one. Um, well, we do know that um, Jake's told us on multiple uh, podcasts, including Joe Rogan, uh, his relationship with Grizzly was not well, and a lot of the females that Grizzly brought home, with one of them in particular, I don't know if it was multiple, but you know he was like 14, I think, and basically raped him um, while that was happening. And I think Grizzly's, because he was one of those more old school mentality, was like, "You're lucky. What are you talking about, kid? You know, get the fuck up. Quit being a bitch." So Jake's Jake's relationship stems a lot with his father, and this seems like it will be telling the story of his dad and his upbringing that caused the problems that you would see later on in his career. Yeah. I, interesting stuff for sure. I, I've heard, I've heard him talk about some of that before. Um, so the, uh, the Korean incident, do you think we're going to get a, a Saudi incident for WWF at some point in the future? I don't know. <laughs> Cause they're very similar. You know, being stuck in a country for multiple days and not being able to leave. I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to see one about the incident where they held Vader back over in, what was it, Iraq or Iran? Because of that interview where he hit the fucking reporter. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's a little different because Vader got arrested for assault. <laughs> yeah, but so. still, that's, that's got to be a fantastic story to find out where Vince is like, Rap, you're staying here, Vader. Fuck off. I mean, that's one they should definitely do is Vader in general, right? 
or at least in my yeah. opinion. I think that's a great character, especially if you want to go from New Japan until, you know, his last WWE match. I think that would be really, really awesome. I remember how hyped I was when he showed up in WWE. I think maybe you weren't watching during that time period, but he came back and had like that one last match in WWE. And it was just a short, like two minute squash, but I was like, man, I fucking love Vader so much. You know, and for all the wrestlers that don't like modern wrestling, I think that it's it's to be said about Leon specifically that he criticizes shit of Will Ospreay, and Will was like, hey man, why don't we have a match, and maybe I can learn from you, and, and you can see that I'm not just a fucking acrobat wrestler, and one of his last matches was against Will Ospreay, and they actually had a good match, and afterwards Leon had a lot of respect for Will. Uh, you know, a lot of people look at some of the negative things about Vader from his past and being hard to work with and being very emotional about decisions and shit. But I, I feel like he's extremely underrated. I think that we both feel that way. Well, he kind of came from a time period with Bruiser Brody where you're the monster character. You got to protect your gimmick, the Road Warrior stuff. So when he went to like WWF, like them saying he's hard to work with, at some point he was trying to protect his character. You can't have him losing 50-50 or losing, you know, 60 to 70% of his matches. It just doesn't work. And uh, they knew that in WCW, but specifically the hard-to-work-with stuff, I think, all stems from his run in WWF. Yeah, it might stem from a uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of all, all time who uh, got mad at him and went off on him very unprofessionally in a wrestling match, Mr. Shawn Michaels. But, yeah, would love to see an episode like that in the future from from uh, anyone, actually. Anyways, let's uh, let's get over to Rebellion, uh, the pay-per-view from Impact that's going to be on tomorrow night, Sunday night. I'm um, looking forward to it. Uh, depending on the cost, I might purchase it. So, probably not going to happen, though, because Impact thinks their worth is... I'm sure they're going to be like, well, Kenny Omega's on it! Anyways, but this is the big one. Uh, Kenny Omega versus Rich Swan, Impact title, and TNA title on the line, as well as Kenny's AEW title. But before we get there, let's go over some of the matches, because I'm looking forward to this lineup. we got Fire and Flavor. Uh, and this, once again, this is in no order of what might happen. This is predicted order from Wikipedia. Fire and Flavor, Kira Hogan, Natasha Steeles, the champions uh, of the Knockouts uh, uh, tag team division, going against Jordan Grace, and who premiered on the episode on Thursday, Rachel Ellering which was her um, her uh, special guest partner. So that should be good. I love I, – I think Rachel's – I've always enjoyed her work. That I saw in the Mae Young Classic and, and NXT. She's damn good in the ring. Uh, so her and Jordan together as a team sounds interesting. Big Kira Hogan fan, and, you know, from her being in Impact for a while. And Tasha Steeles impressed me in NWA before she came to Impact. So they've been good as champions. Should be a fun match. I know you probably don't have a lot of uh, stake in, the, in, in, in in this one specifically, but based on the ladies, who would you like to see win? The champions, Fire and Flavor, or get beaten by Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering? I'm only going to say this because I'm bigger fans of Jordan Grace and Rachel, <laughs> Rachel Ellering. I hope they win. Uh, more, more realistically, Fire and Flavor will probably keep the titles and they'll build the feud out a little bit longer. I could see that happening. I'm going to also go at Fire and Flavor for many of the things that you said. Uh, next one's a big grudge match. I don't know what they're going to exactly do, but I'll get to that. But it's uh, Violent by Design. Eric Young, uh, Diener, Joe Doring, and uh, Rhino 
on one side against Chris Saban, Eddie Edwards, James Storm, and Willie Mack. Not a big fan of four and fours usually, but with the amount of talent in this, I think this is actually going to be a fun match. I just don't know what's going on with Eric Young because maybe this is pre-recorded. I doubt it. Usually pay-per-views are live. But Eric, in one of the, the, the previous recordings, he got hurt. And I don't remember being on the last episode. I have no idea if he's going to have someone else come out for him or, like I said, if this is pre-recorded. But I thought he was out for six months. Maybe I should look it up and see if that was actually true. But I, I remember seeing that, so I'm kind of confused on that. So maybe they'll have someone else that Eric brings out as a new member of their team. But, I mean, like I said, you got Chris Saban, Eddie Edwards, James Storm, Willie Mack, Eric Young. Diener's pretty good. Joe Doring, Rhino. You know, this should be – it's going to be a clusterfuck, Chris, in probably a lot of spots, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But I think the good guys will prevail, and I'm going to give the win to Eddie Edwards because that seems very impact of them, him or Chris Saban. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you as far as who's going to win. It is interesting with the Eric Young stuff because I just I did look, just look it up and that 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 original report was March 30th where he suffered a torn ACL. So either this is recorded or like you said he will have someone stand in for him in this match. And I, I they do a lot of recording in on Impact, so I'm not I mean this could have already happened for all we know, but uh yeah, I'm not 100% sure on whether it's recorded or not. If it's not, He's not going to be able to wrestle with a torn ACL. So, <laughs> surprise guest, maybe. Hmm, that's very intriguing. Um, but also, I hope that Eric Young gets better ASAP, regardless. This is going to be a fun grudge match. They've already had stuff in the past. It's going to be a last-man-standing match between Sammy Callahan and Trey Miguel. Trey's a phenomenal wrestler. Uh, just so quick, but also great facial expressions. You know, great selling. Uh, and Sammy's, uh, you know, say what you want about him, but he's one of the most grittiest heels, just ruthless. Uh, so this should be a fun last man standing match. But I'm sure we're going to see a lot of plunder in it, Chris. Yeah, it's, uh, there's going to be people getting hit with shit all over the place. I'm going to go with Sammy Callahan winning. But it should be a fun match. If, you, if you're into... Sammy Callahan hardcore matches. This will be very good if you're if you're a big fan of that stuff. There you go. That's a good way of saying it. If you if you like staplers and, and heads, that nah, was Jimmy Havoc. Fuck him. Anyways, <laughs> I'm not trying to take anything away from Sammy Callahan, but it's like every pay per view match that Sammy Callahan has is kind of this. Yep. No, so. no, I agree with you. I I totally agree with you. That's why he can't wrestle fucking John Moxley in a crossover match because, you know, they would they would they would destroy each other. I don't think either one of them will be living afterward. <laughs> they did wrestle in uh, uh, the CZW, I believe. So if, if there's fans out there that want to see that that, that th- those videos exist. Yeah, definitely. If you want to see some violent shit, um, this next match. Besides the main event, I think this is going to be the best, best match on the card just because these guys know how to work together. But a grudge match that's been building for a while in Impact. Matt Cardona against the most... What the hell's his slogan? I don't remember, but Brian Myers. 
uh, I think that Brian's going to win this in some heelish way, but uh, I, th- I, th- I think that these guys are going to have a, uh, a fun time. As long as you haven't been watching the Major Brothers uh, podcast, I know that they're buddy-buddy, but uh, luckily I don't, Chris. So uh, there you go. Yeah, I guess that's where it throws me off because I do watch their – at least watch all of their YouTube stuff. I don't listen to their – to all of their podcasts, et cetera. But I'm assuming Brian Myers is winning here because Matt Cardona has been doing stuff with EC3, who's technically in ROH right now, right? So – Matt Cardona is kind of just like a floating free agent at this point. Yep. And uh, now you mentioned it, man. EC3, dude. Uh, he had some pretty bad infection that's getting healed up right now, but glad that that wasn't anything uh, too serious because it was for a minute there. So uh, I don't know if that was, you know, like a staph infection or something like that, but I'm assuming it was something related to that. But. Uh, yeah. What the hell was it? It's, it's crazy to me to think that, like, you can get a staph infection from taking wrestling bumps. And I wonder how often it actually happens in other sports like the, the NHL, like hockey or uh, football. Dude, it's nuts, man. I, I think you're right. I don't know how the hell that happens, um, from just taking bumps. But, you know, also, uh, um, I heard about Mongo McMichael to kind of take a Steve Mongo McMichael is uh, not doing good because of ALS. Um, so there's a GoFundMe. Chris Jericho posted on Twitter. A lot of wrestlers did say about his wrestling skills. But, uh, you know, Steve was always a great personality, you know, and football Hall of Famer. And unfortunately, he's now the same weight he was when he was a sophomore in high school. Or I think he, he weighs less than that. So terrible to hear. You know, and also Conan, K-Dog, uh, he had COVID. It really affected him badly. He almost uh, almost died from it, and now apparently it affected one of his uh, kidneys severely. So he needs a kidney transplant ASAP. So definitely huge Conan fan. Um, hopefully that gets situated. Kind of reminded me of that, Chris. Sorry to be dour all of a sudden. No, it's fine. And I think for any WCW fan out there, if you even if it's only like five bucks, if you enjoyed watching those guys work, definitely go to their GoFundMe pages and donate what you can, man. Um, I love Steve Mongo McMichael, even though I know he's not the greatest in the ring. I always found him very entertaining as a kid. And uh, even going back and watching WCW, one of my favorite storylines was Queen Deborah, which started with Steve Mongo McMichael and then became... Jeff Jarrett's manager. Um, great. To me, I, I like that storyline a lot. So that's what I think of when I think of Mongo McMichael. That and Pepe and all of his various outfits and Mongo on commentary, who I think is very <laughs> underrated as a commentator. Um, so, oh, yeah. as Color Man, he was great. He mixed so well <laughs> with Eric Bischoff and Tony whenever they would switch out with, with Bobby the Brain Heenan. They were a very underrated group, I think, before Mike even came there. Yes, I I agree with you 100%. I think people kind of sleep on him as a uh, color commentator. But, uh, man, sad sad news for both of them. But like I said, anyone out there, if if you were a WCW fan or you enjoyed these guys, or if you're a Chicago Bears fan, you know, reach out and and give a little bit of money, whatever you can. I'm sure, you know, a little bit goes a long way. 
Yep, and uh, Wrestling Geeks Alliance and Geek Fives Nation is with you guys for sure. Um, all right, so we have the uh, Impact X Division Champion Ace Austin uh, going against uh, the person they took the title from, TJP, and X Member of the North, jo- uh, Josh Alexander, who I I think I I really think like eventually because he's a great tag team wrestler, he's a great jet, uh, wrestler in general. Get Tucky and put him on a tag team with this dude because they're both collegiate wrestlers, and I actually like Josh better as a heel. They're presenting him more as a babyface now, and I don't think it's working. But uh, Ace Austin, um, he's a guy that I see in the next five years being a big deal on AEW or NXT to the WWE, uh, especially since he's put on muscle. Uh, and Madman Fulton's basically is Kevin Nash. He's going to be at the ring. I'm sure he's going to get involved. I don't know why you would take the title off Vase Austin unless you want to put him in the main title picture. But he was talking about in an interview, Chris, that he would like to do title for title against Rich Swan. Um, I guess he's hoping that Rich Swan beats Kenny Omega at the end of the night because I don't think that's happening. And please, God, don't give Kenny another belt. Uh, that, that would be my thing. Who do you think is going to win? I think they're going to keep the title on Ace Austin. And I'm very high on Ace Austin, same as you. I think he is one of the best new stars on the Impact roster, at least in in, in my opinion, and someone that could be a star in in pretty much anywhere he goes. I like Ace Austin a whole hell of a lot. I'd love to see him tangle it up with some of the guys of his age on AEW, like Darby, like Jungle Boy, like Sammy. They would have excellent matches with them if they already haven't had them in the past before that. It's got great finesse. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, him going even to somewhere like Ring of Honor for a bit or New Japan, there's so many good matchups with Ace Austin. Um, I I don't know. I'm just kind of blown away by that guy every time I watch him. He's one of the standouts for me when I do watch Impact. Well, it's funny because the younger generation – you know, he he admitted, like, people have made comparisons to other wrestlers in the past, but he had to go back and watch a lot of those guys. Uh, his two biggest um, influences were AJ Styles and Amazing Red. And you can totally see aspects in his wrestling game from that. And then also Sean as a veteran, as opposed to his early stuff. We're getting oh, old, yeah. Chris, damn it. <laughs> I definitely could see all of those comparisons, specifically Amazing Red. That one stands out a lot. People sleep on him, man. Will Ospreay, Ace Austin, Darby Allen all cite Amazing Red as huge influences. He beat Samoa Joe for the fucking title, even though there was some fuckery with, with, with uh, Bobby Lashley and that, but who cares? Well, there has to be fuckery for Samoa Joe to lose. That's just that's just fact. Yep, Joe needs to come back to step on people's heads. All right, uh, for the women's knockout championship, we have Diana Parazo going against Tanel Dashwood. I don't see uh, the former Emma beating Diana Parazo. She's been a pretty damn dominant female champion, but I feel like she'll win, and we'll find some big new wrestler or a big challenge that will come out at the end of this match. Is what I'm assuming. I don't know who. But I'm just putting that there. What do you think, Chris? I actually agree with your prediction 100% on that one, so not too much to add. Um, and she dropped the title like less than six months ago, so probably give her a little bit of a run. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so Finn Juice, the new uh, Impact World Tag Team Champions, taking that from the Good Brothers, are going against the Good Brothers in their rematch. Uh, Finn Juice have been defending this over in Japan. They are back, and I think they're losing the titles back to the Good Brothers. I don't know if that was just a way to get Impact involved with New Japan to an extent, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know why you would build all the dominant people within that group of the elite and then have the Good Brothers losing to... And even though I like them, uh, you know, Juice Robinson and David Finley, I, I think that you need to get those titles back on the Good Brothers. And if you want, have them go to New Japan and fucking uh, put them on the line because I think they have an audience over there. Pretty sure. Yeah, that probably makes the most sense. And with the with the, I, I feel like the Good Brothers are definitely going to pick up here, pick up the win up here. Should be a very good match. But it's just impact, man. I just always think there's going to be some kind of fuckery in the finish. <laughs> I'll never be able to unsee the fuckery I've seen in impact. So I'm assuming maybe a Young Bucks appearance here. That that would be my guess. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good prediction. Maybe they cause it. Um, maybe we see Finn Juice showing up. You know, calling out the Bucks on AEW or something could be very interesting. And I think that the match that says what's going to happen next is our main event with Moro Anello providing commentary along with D'Lo Brown and uh, I forgot the other guy's name. The guy from Lucha Underground and also was in WWE. It's very detailed, but it's annoying sometimes. I can't remember his name. doesn't matter. Um... Rich Swan, the Impact Champion, he has both belts. They have not unified those, so both of those are on the line, the TNA Classic belt and the current Impact belt. Uh, and Kenny Omega with the AEW Championship, uh, winner takes all, for both titles. Kenny's going to have four belts. This is going to be an awesome match. There will probably be some type of fuckery. I don't think Moose will get involved because on Impact, he came out and specifically said to Rich, Look, this is how it's going to be. Either you're going to win back those belts and then I'm going to fucking beat you or Kenny's going to win that belt or those belts. I'm going to beat the shit out of you first end your career and then go after Kenny and get the belts back. So I think he's staying out of this, but there could be something else as far as interference. I hope there's not. Hope there's no interference. Hope there's no DQ. Hope this is no bullshit. How the guys have a great fucking match and Kenny be the belt collector. Um, I guess he needs to call out Osprey or Aldis soon uh, after this one. Or uh, Rush. Rush, I mean. Uh, I don't know. But uh, I think Kenny's getting those two titles. I don't see Rich Swan winning this at all, but this will definitely help him out with his career by being in this match regardless. Yeah, I think they tilted their hand a bit by making this belt versus belt as opposed to just Kenny having a chance to win the TNA title. Because Kenny's not dropping the AEW belt on an Impact show. It's just not fucking happening. So they, they kind of ruined the finish there. Now, how they get there, I guess, can go multiple ways. And it's Impact, so I'm assuming some sort of fuckery. Even though <laughs> I know you said you didn't want to see that. But uh, Don Callis getting involved or something. Because if Kenny's going to... I guess it just depends on how often Kenny is going to be showing up on Impact as your champion. Is it going to be like Brock Lesnar? 
or is he going to be there like week after week? Because otherwise, you need to keep Rich looking kind of strong because your title is going to be away from the main event picture, and Rich would be technically still number one contender, and the number one contender match for that belt should be, you know, Rich versus Moose. And I kind of gave a bold prediction with Samoa Joe where he talked about the releases of, you know, maybe Kenny holds that Impact title for three months and Samoa Joe shows up and wins it or something. So I I could see them doing something like that. I love that outcome eventually. I think that would be really cool. The question is, can they make us think differently throughout the course of the match? That is going to be up to Kenny and Rich Swan. It's pretty obvious Kenny's going to win it. I think he is going to brock the title because he's been showing up for a lot of stuff, but I could see him even chilling in his trailer on pre-recorded stuff. They even do at AEW, just like they had him do at AEW on Dynamite and kind of avoiding the actual arena or, or matches, but he'll, he'll be carefree about it and hold on to it for a while. It's just, do you think that Rich Swan, through selling, through the course of the match, can have certain things where you're like, you you believe you, in the moment, Chris, and this happens in wrestling. You believe, oh my God, is Rich Swan going to win it? Can they do that? Or probably not. Well, with me, I always try to go back to my childhood self when I watch a wrestling match, um, unless it just completely gets it. Can, I get completely jarred out of it by something dumb. Um, so yeah, I mean, if it's a really good match, I, I'll be able to suspend disbelief. I don't know that you know someone looking at this card deciding to buy the pay per view necessarily will be because not everyone views the product the same way as uh, I try to. So last question before we move on. After this, does Kenny call out any other champions anytime soon? I whew. That is a good. That is a very good question, Dane, and I don't have an answer for you. I mean, I would assume. I mean, I guess he could go after the Ring of Honor belt. I. That would. It really would comes be- down to three, man. I mean, well, I don't want to count on MLW. I guess he could go against either Hammerstone if he wins it, or Jacob Fatu if he w- uh, retains the title, but. Do you call out next Nick Aldis? Do you call out Will Ospreay? Do you call out Filthy Tom Lawler? Do you call out, like you said, Roosh? Those are like your big heavyweight champions, basically. Right? Yeah, but I mean, isn't it time for someone to call out Kenny Omega? Someone in AAA should be like, hey, what the fuck's going on? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be amazing if Laredo Kid won all three belts in one night against Kenny Omega just on a random fucking Triple A show? Dude, give him a give him a Rey Mysterio moment. Fuck yeah, <laughs> that'd be that'd be hilarious. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe maybe he's not going to call anyone out, but someone from a different company shows up and challenges him. Very I, I think interesting. Gonna, I think they're going to play out with the two belts for a while, basically, and then. Like I said, I could see Joe, or if they can get someone from Japan, maybe maybe an Okada. I think the world wants an Okada. The world wants an Okada. I mean, it really does come down to that. Because that's someone that shows up, you're like, oh shit, Kenny's losing his belts. Kenny's going to lose everything. He's going to lose his house now. He's going to literally <laughs> rainmaker his fucking house down. I mean, I could still see them doing Kota or, or Okada if they're not if they 
don't go the Joe route. But that is my bold prediction is that it's actually just going to be Samoa Joe showing up and, and signed under the Impact umbrella, but actually AEW because they're working together. So it doesn't really matter who's getting paid by if he's going to be on both shows anyways. I want to see... Uh, this is ridiculously ridiculous booking. I want to see fucking Jay Lethal, because come on, he's basically the Okada of Ring of Honor. When they realize that the title's getting stale, they give it fucking right back to him. So he needs to take that fucking title off of Roosh. Although if you have Roosh and Kenny Omega in one match, I don't know what Dave Metzler's fucking star scale is going to be. It's probably going to be at 18, just starting off. So maybe there's that to break that fucking huge pivotal <laughs> earthquake-like thing. But you get you get the title off of Roosh, you put on Jay Lethal, and then he shows up as the Black Machismo on AEW and calls out Kenny Omega for the AEW title and puts the Ring of Honor title on the line. And then you build it up, Black Machismo against Kenny Omega. Mm-hmm. See, and, and we all win. We all do win, but the big thing is then... Kenny has to win the Ring of Honor title. <laughs> or it has to be the only a person time that can show up. The only person that can show up and just beat him is Okada. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Unless Hangman gets a fluke win somehow and gets the AW title off of him. I don't see that happening. Or Cody realizes that he's one of the bigger guys in the company, but I don't see that happening either. He's feuding I mean, with it's... QT Marshall right now. It's part of the reason I, I hate the storyline with the belt collector, because while they're working together, if you're going to have someone chasing Kenny Omega, they're going to need to be there pretty long term. So someone like a Jay Lethal, I don't know that he's going to be working, you know, on Impact and Ring of Honor at the same time. So bringing in someone like Okada for like a three or four month stint like they used to in WCW with uh, Jushin Thunder Liger and, and some of those cats makes more sense. Bringing in someone to to Japan to take the title or from Japan to take the title as opposed to uh, as opposed to, you know, separating it out by federation. And also when you're booking this shit, please AEW, do not have Kenny Omega also putting up his AEW title. People should be chasing after your title because it's more prestigious, especially if he's holding two fucking belts. Like he shouldn't be defending two belts versus one belt. Like you're basically giving him a shot at your championship just to have a, a chance to wrestle him. That, or that's the way I would book it, but this whole, like, I, I don't need Kenny Omega holding, like, six titles like he's fucking Ultimo Guerrero, or not Ultimo Dragon. No, I agree with you, but just the visual, if, if, or if or when he wins tomorrow night's on Sunday, he shows up on AEW with all four belts wrapped on him. I'm assuming like they got to do some type of picture and they also have to have him come out with all the four belts. Like he's the greatest thing ever. I mean, I haven't seen the triple a belt on him in a long time. I don't even know if he owns it anymore, but I'm saying that visual of him coming to the ring with the AW wrapped around his waist and holding the other ones on his arms. Like they're secondary would be a cool visual. Maybe you can get Naito to come over and steal the belts from him and then try to use them to buy stuff at a gas station <laughs> that would be fucking hilarious uh, he brings the uh, intercontinental title he, like there's a video of him finding it in the trash and it's like man fuck this so he just fucks it up some more and just carries it like it's his uh his hardcore belt like he's mick foley with the hardcore <laughs> belt 
the real FGW champion, <laughs> Naito, because he is like, fuck the world. He's like, this belt? No one likes this belt. Let me buy some chips with this belt. The cashier just looks at him fucking funny. So great. Man, I miss... He needs another run where he's throwing, throwing fucking titles around. It's amazing. <laughs> Such good shit. Such good shit. All right, well, I think we should move on and start talking about some television shows. <laughs> Let's start off in order of when the shows come out now, since they're Tuesday, Wednesday. And, um, hey, once again, AEW does over a million, and uh, NXT climbs higher to 900,000 people. So hopefully they both get over a million uh, collectively together and keep on growing, since they were obviously hurting each other. I just, not only would I like to see AEW get better ratings than fucking Raw sometime soon in the future, but... Eventually, Chris, wouldn't it be hilarious if NXT builds enough to actually have more views on USA in a week than fucking Raw does on their programming? What well, What do you think would happen? Do you think that Vince's head would explode? I mean, it fucking should, since the guy is Triple H and he could have just hired him to run Raw years ago. Yeah, it just um, I don't know if that will happen, but I mean, uh, they definitely were in each other's way, so. Good up on both them for upping their uh, the ratings and for AEW being over a million now two weeks in a row. They both have a long way to go. Wait, we're talking, what, 800,000, 900,000 viewers on TV to catch well, Raw? Chris, as a band uh, of excellence once said, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. I think that was Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, that, that, that checks out. William. Bill Shakespeare wrote that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start off with NXT. Uh, we got an interview in the ring with Kyle O'Reilly. Um, I hate to start off a little bit negative. I think that Kyle's an awesome performer. He's a way better heel than he is now with this kind of schmirky douchebag baby face. Uh, it just seems like your buddy that quotes movies like you know, knows every fucking line. Not like I don't, but knows every line from Wedding Crashers and shit like that. And just, he said, like, I like him a lot. You know, the the Dumb and Dumber thing. And when Cameron Grimes came out, I was actually like, all right, come on, let's let's do something with this. And Cameron Grimes comes out and kind of offers him this partnership between the two of them. And he's kind of trying to, like, needle at Kyle O'Reilly, who already stated beforehand that, you know, he can go for the work horse title that Johnny Gargano has. He can try to go against Karrion Cross and kind of goes more in that direction, which will be addressed by Karrion Cross later on, just by a stare, which was perfect. And, um, you know, he's trying to tell Cameron Grimes who his next opponent's going to be, and he goes, oh, yeah, it's you, after he puts on his sunglasses and just decks Cameron Grimes in the face, which is very disrespectful. The man's a millionaire. And, uh, yeah, we set up that match for later on between Cameron Grimes and Kyle O'Reilly. I think Kyle's good on the mic a lot of times. I, I do. I, 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 it just, this was not fucking working for me. And I'm not going to lie about it. I'll give it time to kind of marinate, but him as his cocky baby face, I'm not really enjoying too much. Am I, am I, am I, uh, am I being too hard on Mr. O'Reilly from Canada, Chris? I don't think you're being too hard. I, I think what he, the delivery of what he said on the mic was fine, but it's it's reminiscent of how Gargano was when he finally beat Ciampa, where 
he's no longer just the smooth baby face, the underdog. And they don't know what to do with that character. I think the only time they've pulled it off successfully in WWE is Daniel Bryan. Um, so from that aspect, it's it's a bit weird. I do like that he's like, what title should I go for? Uh, because they need to make that North American title more special than it currently is. I mean, it was a it technically it shouldn't even exist because it was unified by Keith Lee, but uh, that's a different conversation for a different day. Yeah, I uh, gotta agree with you. Um, all right. So we had the match that was being set up through L.A. Knight going against Dexter Loomis. Um, I thought these guys had a good match. This might have been one of the better matches I've seen Dexter Loomis in. And I probably will cater a lot of it towards L.A. Knight. Even though I think Dexter's good, his character kind of gets in the way of his wrestling, if that makes sense. I know a lot of people aren't at all. And, dude, I'm someone that does not like comedy stuff. And I know a lot of people don't like the Indy Hartwell, Dexter Loomis shit. But I actually find it really funny. Um and that whole entire thing where they're about to kiss and she trips, I thought was pretty charming and funny. Uh, but it would cost them the match. And unfortunately, Dexter, one of the the only things I can say, at least that I can recall, and that he kind of fucked up is that he was coming in and uh, L.A. Knight like nailed him and was going to do what looked to be like a a uh, fuck. What the hell is it called? Basically taking his head and twisting it over into a DDT, but he kind of didn't fall right and just fell on his arm. But still, L.A. Knight got the win, and I've been complaining that he loses all the time. I still don't know how we're supposed to take him as seriously as they could have put him on just from the start, but it looks like it's going against him and Bronson Reed again in the future, so that should be fine, I guess. What do you think of this, Chris? I could not care any less about Eli Drake based on the way they've booked him thus far. I know he got a win here, but, man, it's really hard to care <laughs> They killed him already. They killed him already. Um, As far as Dexter Loomis and the comedy stuff, it's fine. I hated the finish to, was it last week's match with Indy Hartwell, like laying in the ring, all broken and distraught, and Dexter's like looking at her, and that was like kind of the, they built that to the finish of the match. I don't necessarily want the matches to be revolving around the storyline, but it is kind of just a, a, a weird fun thing that's in the middle of the show. I mean, Dexter Dexter Loomis at this point is a middling, middle card cha- like guy. So him having something to do is better than him having nothing to do. I'm Dane Alves. I want to say that they should do a boxing-like thing for wrestlers to build up for an event on fight. I'm Dane Alves. I like Indy Hartwell almost kissing Dexter <laughs> Loomis on NXT. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. Hey, you know, it really comes down to I love pro wrestling, but I can't say I hate sports entertainment either. It's just, I guess it just depends on the situation. That's why some people love the Orange Cassidy and Best Friends thing. And I get it. It's just not my cup of tea. So, but uh, yeah, I think that's very uh, contradictory of myself, Chris. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not. It's They're, they're one and the same. Everyone wants serious-ass wrestling, but you need some levity. And this is not the biggest atrocity we've ever seen. I mean, what was Santina, <laughs> right? Like, we've seen way worse <laughs> comedy in the past as far as wrestling goes. I mean, this is not grade A shit like Yano, but it's 
I can't even say that seriously. Phil, telling you, man, Orange Cassidy versus Jono is the ultimate dream match. Oh, I, I told Tom Clark that on his show, and he thought it was gold. He's like, wow, I think that that could be something I want to see more so than even Undertaker and Sting back in the day. <laughs> it would it would be great. I mean, I guess the problem with Dexter Loomis is that they... Killed him? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of a nice way to say it. They brought him in as this huge monster serial killer character that was involved in a title match with Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole, which was like kind of a big deal. And he was fighting Undisputed Era. He gets injured, and then he comes back as the, the artist and then just does that weird shit with Cameron Grimes. And ever since then, he's just been like kind of done for me. He's just kind of there. And I already wasn't super huge on on his in-ring work because of the character. And that even goes back to, to, to his work in TNA was very similar. Um, I actually just watched a match with him and Crazy Steve <laughs> recently from Impact. The, they just fought over a little monkey. You know, those little monkeys you wind up and they clap the cymbals. Yeah. Like 70% of the fucking match was them arguing over this little monkey that claps cymbals. And I'm like, yeah, well, this checks out with what they're doing with him in Impact or NXT. So people shouldn't be that mad, I guess. It's just weird because I, I know you were you were high on him when he first came in. I know you liked you liked the character, like kind of being like Dexter, the TV show and they fucking went completely not anywhere near what <laughs> what we originally talked about when they brought him in. The thing about WWE in general, they don't understand that you don't necessarily have to be supernatural. You can just be a fucking weirdo that's more horror-driven and that serial killer, scary person. You know, I go back to... I'll go back all the way to Kane and how Jim Cornette originally was like, it's going to be like Michael Myers... He's after The Undertaker. We're going to do vignettes from his perspective of seeing stuff much like Halloween. We wanted to be this crazy serial killer. And then the outfits and then the controlling of the fire. And it worked out for him. It does work out a lot of times. But recently, it's like Aleister Black doesn't have to raise the dead or anything like that. He's just a guy that's obsessed with the occult. He's a great martial artist. That's it. Dexter Loomis. He's a weirdo that's is he taking bodies and murdering people? Like, you don't have to have him with zombies dancing in a fucking thriller video on Halloween Havoc. You know, uh, Fiend. Fiend's just a fucking, like, Leatherface. He's wearing this weird mask. He's scary. He doesn't control the lights or has talked to the lighting technician beforehand. He's not fucking doing all this. Like, they have to... It's like, we gotta go the Undertaker out. Undertaker's the only fucking person, and Kane, I, I will say, those two, that have pulled that off in a series of a lot of wrestlers that would have been fine if you didn't fuck with them and act like they were monsters since they're watching a worked wrestling television show. Yeah, and a lot of reason they pulled that off is just the greatness of Paul Bear, if we're being completely honest. Uh, but even with someone like The Fiend, if you want to do a mystical character... You can't also have people cut a promo and just be like, that's just Bray Wyatt in a mask, which they did. <laughs> <laughs> so you've literally told me it's just Bray Wyatt in a mask. He doesn't have supernatural powers. And then like a month later, you're like, nah, he, he got burnt to, to, as Brian Alvarez would say, burnt to a crisp. <laughs> and now he's fine. Kind of, I guess. It's so fucking dumb. Like, 
you can do supernatural, but you need to protect and book those guys like you did Undertaker and Kane. Like the big thing is they, you know, they did the supernatural crazy shit, but also just they went in and whipped ass on everyone they fought for like a year. Pretty much like Hogan tombstone or uh, fucking Taker tombstone Hogan onto a chair and won the title. It broke his freaking like, neck. Like that's and then put him in a body bag. That's what made Undertaker believable as a supernatural crazy character is because you built him well. You made him a guy that, that the fans yeah. cared about. He took you Ultimate Warrior and put him in a fucking casket and nailed it shut and, and apparently let him, you know, lose breath and die. You know, I mean, he was doing some fucking sadistic shit. And the, as far as the mystical character of Kane, it's like Kane started a fire that killed Undertaker's entire family. That's the storyline. Whether they throw thunder and lightning and shit, the fans didn't care about. They cared about the story. Mm-hmm. Of those characters, with Dexter Loomis, like in every mystical character they do now, and I don't want to spend too much more time on this because we've beat this to death over the past year, probably. They don't get it. <laughs> like, just stop doing them. Like you said, you can just have a straight. You know what's scarier than Michael Myers? Fucking Jack Nicholson in the The Shining, and he was just a normal ass dude that lost his mind. So, do that. Sometimes that's okay. Yeah, go down the Jake Roberts route. Don't go down the Undertaker route. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference. Like, I'm talking about original interpretation. You can be a fucking weird individual that definitely seems like he's kind of fucked in the head, who's sinister and says some shit, and you're like, okay, I don't care about the other wrestlers. They might all be a work, but that guy, he's really fucking crazy in, in real life. Like, that's more what they need to do. Even, like, Finn Balor. Did he have a supernatural concept with the demon? Well, no, because he explained it that it was more of a war paint that when he put on, it was like the I forgot the stupid fucking concept, but it was like the family spirit that was within his last name or some shit like that. So when he donned Finn Balor, he just was completely ruthless and put him in a mode that was like, you know, much different than, say, Finn Balor. And then they made him the demon. And then you know, it just it it's not it. it Usually they can explain it well. The wrestler can. Like like the Fiend. He goes up Vince. He tells him his idea. He comes up with the beginning basis. And then Vince is like, why don't we have a red light? It's like, well, we don't really need a red light. Uh, why don't we have you get burnt to death and come back? It's like, god damn it. All right, never mind. Just quit fucking with these guys. So stupid. Yeah, it's it's bad. At least with Finn Balor, he's very protective over using the gimmick. So it doesn't... <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't come off as supernatural because it's like, well, he only does it when he wants to do it. So it's more of like a personal choice, like he, him just getting super hyped for a match, or that's the way I read it. I know he has all that other backstory for it and shit, but I'm just like, no, that just means that like you've pissed Finn Balor off, so now he's going to put on the paint and give it his 110% as opposed to his 100%. I'm scared they're going to do, though, Chris, the same thing with Karrion Cross. Karrion Cross is not mystic. He's just his the presentation is something that would make you kind of believe that, but that's definitely not the case. But I feel like on WWE he'll control like lights and you could see him popping fire out of his ass or some shit because of Vince. I really do worry about I that. Feel, I feel like that all, all of the writers need to just go to a hot topic. 
Like, have they never been in a hot topic? Not everyone that is dark and brooding. Watch horror movies. <laughs> not everyone that is dark and brooding or sinister is necessarily paranormal in some standpoint. Like a demon or a ghost or the undead. It's not necessarily that. You can be sinister and not be that. Like uh, Richard Kalinsky, the hitman. Stone Cold brought that up on the podcast. He's like, I watched that documentary, and I was like, man, that should be my gimmick. I should be out to kill everyone. Like, there you go. That's a character, right? Like, you don't necessarily have to make everything fucking Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger. In fact, I would say it's better if you don't. Yep. But uh, good rant. I think that that was uh, something important to say. Let's move on with the show. So this child, uh, this, this, this small child, did a great promo and was punching a locker, and he was basically calling out Isaiah Swerve Scott. Apparently they've had some dealings in the past. Uh, the young man's name is Leon Ruff. Um, pretty sure he's good friends with Negative One uh, from AEW. Looks about the same age. But he's, 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 he's tired, and, and he can't. Takes no more, Chris. So Leon Ruff called out Isaiah Swerve Scott, and I thought, positively, no, no joking, this was probably his best promo. He did great, showed a lot of range and emotion, but I'm so sick of them putting fucking Isaiah Swerve Scott with this guy. I thought that Scott really showed off an amazing level of his arsenal that we knew back when he was Shane Strickland, specifically at that last takeover in that match that he didn't even win, but I thought was the standout believe you did too. And why do we have to keep on going back to the well with him against Leon Ruff? I don't want to see it again. Because they have nothing else for these guys to do. <laughs> that's that's the that's the answer. I will agree with you. Leon Ruff with Isaiah Swerve Scott the past two or three weeks. That's some of the best Leon Ruff we've seen, for sure. So at least they're elevating one guy to some extent. Because... Uh, Man, they kind of treated him like a geek originally. Yeah. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, I do agree. Uh, I think that he's been doing some of his best stuff. I just, he's not very believable for me. You know where he'd be, be believable, Chris, in a match against uh, Marco, Micro Stunt? Um, I would think that he could beat his ass up pretty, pretty easily. Him and Drake Maverick, the year long feud. Just, just them two, just going at it. God damn it! <laughs> it would be, it would be a pretty. I mean, hey, whatever. That could be pretty good, depending on how you book it. <laughs> oh, Lord, Lord Jesus! All right, so we come back. We're we're shown that Eoshrai is going to be doing a sit down interview with Beth Phoenix. Um, I thought this was actually a pretty good interview with Eo. Talking about her match with, you know, first with Charlotte uh, at uh, In Your House and kind of like how much that meant to her and her long title reign and beating so many great women along the way. Kind of uh, talking about Raquel Gonzalez that she got the better of her, but, you know, she defended it for almost 400 days. So she thinks that she's going to be able to get that back. And while she's going more into details about Raquel, all of a sudden a little doggy comes on the table. So, hi, doggy. Uh, Frankie Monet, uh, a.k.a. Ty Valkyrie. I don't know how I'm going to get used to that. Um, comes up and she, you know, she talks about 
introducing her to Io Shirai, that, you know, she basically does it her annoying way for being a heel. Like, like for instance, she says to Beth Phoenix, like, oh, I remember being a child and watching you on the television. You know, kind of just backhanded compliments, but she's new, she's in charge, and she wants to go after the best first, so she's just introducing the Euro Shirai, and Io uh, is not too happy about it, and she takes off all pissed and uh, says that she's a cat person. So I don't know if she was insinuating she was going to fuck up her dog, but, you know, I, I wouldn't mess with Io Shirai. Um, but, uh, yeah, it looks like we're going to get Taya Valkyrie and Io Shirai, which should be a great uh, match. I mean, both ladies are awesome. So you got your Lucha Libre against the Japanese Strong Style. Should be fun. And it gives Io something to do and, you know, can build Frankie in the process. Uh, while it looks like Mercedes Martinez is, is the first opponent for Raquel Gonzalez which she's probably going to destroy her, but she helped train Raquel, so I'm sure that that's more what they're going for. So, good stuff. Uh, and I like Dio in the, uh, in the, in the, in the uh, interview itself. What do you think of this, Chris? I actually like this a lot. Um, I like the, the, the entire segment, and I like that they're giving Io a new opponent, at least, and Taya is a great one to have. Uh, just where is Io going to go from here? She can't just be... Oh, man. Main she's going to put over Taya, right? I mean, she <laughs> yeah. kind of has to. I would assume so, but do you need her to do another job after dropping the title? Like, I don't know. I guess it's debatable. But I liked this. I thought it was good, and I look forward to that match. I think it'll be a very, very good match. Also, yeah. shout out shout out to Tiny Dogs in Wrestling today. We've, already, we've mentioned Pepe and whatever Frankie Monet's dog is named. It's Frizzlebutt. I don't know what the fuck its name is. I just made that up. Uh, that was a terrible, terrible joke. Um, next up, tag match with the with Brazongo against the Grizzled Young Veterans. I, really good tag match. Nothing I can say specifics about. I mean, your standard tag match with these two teams, I would say. <laughs> uh, but it ended with uh, Breeze comes back for more near falls between the two teams. Breeze doesn't see a tag. As they hit the ticket, to, uh, ticket to mayhem. I always want to say ticket to ride. Ticket to mayhem for the pin and win. The young veterans. Man, that move. It's like if you don't get that within a cut. Like if you don't swing the person up enough, and they don't bring their body up, that could really go fucking wrong. But uh, it's still a cool move. But uh, you know, it's it's it's, uh, it's fine. It's fine. Tag division, uh, kind of boring. You know, maybe we'll get we'll get better. Uh, what do you say? I thought the match, I thought the match was pretty decent, so I agree with you there. And also, it should be called Ticket to Ride. That's a way better fucking name than Ticket to Mayhem or whatever. That just sounds like a really terrible, like, fucking five finger death punch type band to me. <laughs> if if my memory serves correctly, they're, they've been attacking for a while. All their moves, like their big finishing moves and stuff like that, were Beatles titles, and it used to be called the Ticket to Ride. But then I don't know if it was like, hey, you guys are baby faces. Why are all of your big maneuvers named after Beatles songs? So they made them tweak them or if they did that themselves. But that move used to be called the Ticket to Ride. And a lot of their moves are like titles of Beatles songs. Or they used to be at least. Well, that's unfortunate. They should have just left them the same. Because I want to see someone hit a paperback rider off the top rope, Dane. I think that was a name of one of their movies. I gotta look it up. I'll 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 research this afterwards. But that, when they were over in the UK, they had like a bunch of Beatles names. 
So I don't know. Strange. Um. Okay, so yeah, uh, Mackenzie Mitchell is backstage with Indy Hartwell, who, who uh, wants to talk about the whole Dexter Loomis thing, and uh, you know, before she goes into details, if you will, um, Bronson Reed interrupts and asks, "Don't uh, don't they love love?" He believes Loomis would be a great addition to the Gargano family. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. So I, I didn't read that part. She comes up there. She's ta- she's just gushing over Dexter. They interrupt her before saying something perverted, which they've done kind of in the past. You know, the Gargano family, they're all trying to talk to her. And then Bronson's like, dude, why are you guys doing this? Like, hyping up the thing, and, and she's getting, getting all excited and shit. It's like, it would be a great member of the Gargano family. And then uh, makes it known he still wants Johnny Gargano's uh, NXT title. And Austin Theory, I guess because he has to play the stupid guy still, he steps and said, Johnny says that, you know, if, if you could beat me in a match, he'll give you a match for his title. And Johnny Gargano's like, what the fuck? So that's what that set up. It was fine. What did you think? I, I'm going to have to agree with you. That's that's the only words I have for it. It was fine. <laughs> you know, it was, it was fine. It, 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 it was what it was, man. Like, there's not a whole... We, they're obviously more invested in the love story than they are any of the other people involved in this. So they're just kind of afterthoughts. Including the, the NXT title. North American <laughs> So, I mean, as a segment, it was fine. <laughs> if, if we want to talk, I don't want to get too much into it, but if we want to talk about, like, how that's a problem, <laughs> that's probably a different conversation. Yep. All right. Well, uh, first, uh, we had a little segment that Cameron Grimes is backstage talking to Mackenzie. He's angry about what happened earlier and says he's going to put Kyle O'Reilly back in the hospital. Grimes reads a paper detailing how he won a bid on a recent NFT, but it turns out that the winning bid was actually Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase. Grimes is once again furious over the million-dollar man as he storms off. We go back to the ring to get ready for the fight between Saray and Zoe Starks. But uh, Ted DiBiase said recently in an interview that he's going to be popping up on NXT soon for a feud with him and Cameron Grimes. So this is other comedy shtick, but this is actually comedy stuff that um, I think I could be into between this version of Cameron Grimes trying to fight Ted DiBiase for NRTs, I think that, or NFTs, I mean, I think that that could be pretty fucking hilarious. So what'd you think about that, Chris? I, I like it just fine. I mean, they've already, they've positioned Cameron Grimes as a comedy character already. And I think this could be very, very good comedy, even though I have no fucking idea what an NFT is. I don't like, either. I, I know kind of what it is. Like, I know the general idea of it, but I am just too old, I guess. We're I have, old. <laughs> yeah, like. I've seen like the NBA sold one of these for like two hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, what is it? Is it just a video that only you own? Like, it's it's weird. <laughs> it's fucking weird, man. I don't I don't I don't understand NFTs. 
hit me at at Chris R. Patton if you understand NFTs and can and put it in very simple, simple fucking terms. But I do like the storyline of him and Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. I think it's just funny because, I mean, he is he's going to be that character. They've already decided that he's a comedy character. And if you're going to be a comedy character, you might as well be damn good at it. And he's probably one of the most over people on the roster. So whatever. Do you, you Cameron know- Grimes? You know, I, I feel like maybe he kind of he got he got taught by the he's from North Kakalaki. He got taught by those North Carolina boys, uh, Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, Shannon Moore and uh, Hurricane. And I wonder if he's kind of just like, well, this is working for me. And, you know, it's fucking worked out pretty well for for Shane with the Hurricane gimmick. So I'll have fun matches and then just play this stupid character and see what the fuck becomes of it. Yeah, and that was the exact uh, thing this got brought up on uh, Tom's podcast a couple weeks ago. And I was like, I don't understand why anyone could not like the guy because he is just being a Hurricane Helms ass character. And like I said, then Hurricane Helms outsold the rock and merch at one point in time. So (laughs) there's if you're really good at comedy, it's fine. If you're just doing bad WWE comedy, then that's a that's a different story. So watch out, our truth He's coming for you and your spots. Damn it. <laughs> what, a, what a great feud if it, let, if it led to an actual serious fucking wrestling match between two people that can wrestle their ass off. All, I know. All of the dumb shit leads to like a 30-minute Iron Man match. I'm totally down for that. <laughs> Dude, I totally am too. Uh, all right, so uh, we had our match with the introduction of the new Japanese prospect, Saray. Uh, I like the package. I think it was last week that built up for her and showed a little bit of this week. Uh, I liked that Zoe Stark earlier, you know, they showed her coming up to the car where Saray was coming in and just straight up saying, hey, I respect you a lot. I want to, um, you know, be your first opponent. And Saray being like, yeah, cool. And then they worked this out. Uh, I think Zoe's shown a lot of potential. They've given her a strong win against Tony Storm, which it looks like they're going in that direction based on what happened after the match with Tony attacking her. But uh, Saray didn't, uh, you know, I I didn't know she was partially like trained and, and put over a bunch by Anoki, or you know had a lot of prestige in Japan, building herself up as a name. And as opposed to, I guess going to one of the other major uh, Japanese organizations. Um, WWE has just been really zoning in and getting those people like they got uh, Asuka who used to be Kana and then they got Kari Sane who used to be uh, Kari uh, oh man I forgot what her Kari Hojo uh, beforehand and they got Io Shirai so this is their attempt of trying to find another talent that's got a big buzz and it seems like this one's even younger and more able to you know uh, uh, adapt to the future uh, unlike the the last three who were already established, she's fresh. So I thought she had an awesome match with Zoe Starks. Zoe Starks uh, is someone that continues to impress me. She's good in ring hand. And um, I, I can't say really uh, too much bad things about it. Uh, it ended with Saray blocking and uh, countered uh, with a huge German suplex. And then she hit um, a kick to the jaw and a big forearms. Nate. Sheree drops Stark on her head with a big suplex for the pin and win. And afterwards, they're going up. They, you know, appreciate each other. And like I said, Tony Storm comes out and kicks the shit out of, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Zoe Stark's 
for the what she's calling a fluke win at TakeOver for their pre-show match. So we got Tony Storm in a good program with a good up-and-coming talent. We got a new prospect. You know, I like that EO, who is the last champion legend. She is uh, working with one of the known talents of Taya Valkyrie, but that keeps them both away from the title picture. You have Mercedes Martinez, who's going to be the first, essentially, victim of Raquel Gonzalez, but they're doing a lot of good stuff in the women's division, Chris, I think. Oh, and what do you think about Sarai? I like Sarai a lot, and uh, I like this match. I thought it was a very good match, probably the second best match on the entire show, if I'm being completely honest. And uh, uh, they continue to impress me with this women's division. It's definitely the best in the United States. Someone give me an example of something being better than what's going on in NXT as far as their women division goes. And I will uh, gladly watch it. But right now, it's it's great to see that they flesh this out. They have a good mid card. They have clear cut chasers for the title. Um, the only thing I would say is it's still weird for me that Tony Storm is a heel. I, I I still think that was a bad, maybe a bad decision. Yeah, I don't know about that either. We'll see. We'll have to see how it plays out. But she was such a perfect baby face. But then again. Well, actually, she she did, I think, better on the mic as a babyface than, say, Johnny Gargano. But Gargano was that he's never going to be able to be a heel person because he just had that, you know, I don't know, that Morton-esque getting his ass kicked and, and, and just being able to come back and defy the odds and, you know, more emotional babyface. Kerry Von Erich, I guess, would be another example of that. And he's been a pretty good fucking douchebag heel, so... Maybe Tony Storm, since she's a better person on the mic, she can actually get herself over as a heel. Yeah, she needs to find that next great baby face, and maybe this is it. Because, like, the, the people you just named with Johnny Gargano and, and some of the examples, like Carrie Von Erich and, and Morton, they had great heels. You had the Midnight Express, you had the fabulous Freebirds. So that's, uh, that's, the, that's the key. You need that baby face heel combination so we'll see if they find it with tony storm we always joked about her having the biggest heel move in the business <laughs> with the shiniest wizard and that giant metal leg brace and then when they turned her heel i was like man fuck this <laughs> like <laughs> so in retrospect i probably sound super dub well you know i, I do that all the time uh <laughs> the next match we had only lorkin against kushida for the NXT Cruiserweight uh, Championship. Kushida won, but, you know, I, it sucks because his skills are really good. I feel like if Oni Lorcan somehow ha- was in a different body, he would be like your perfect wrestler. But, you know, it just, he's, he looks like a bald dude. It's kind of just kind of plain. I think that that's why him and Danny Burch worked well, because they were a good tag team, and they brought that out together. But... Um, he had a good match with Kushida. I can't say he didn't. And uh, Kushida won afterwards. Legal Dolph Fantasma uh, music interrupts. And out comes Santos Escobar down the ramp. Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde attack Kushida from behind. They double team him until Escobar joins in. Wilde and Mendoza upload on the outsider now. And Escobar wants Kushida brought back in. NXT Tag Team Champions MSK make uh, a save as a six man brawl. Uh, breaks out. MSK sends Wild and Mendoza to the floor, and Kushida sends Escobar out. 
and the two teams face off with words, and it has been announced that they will be having a three-on-three match, which should be fucking awesome. So obviously, Kushida and which we we kind of knew that was going to happen with him having like that quote-unquote fluke win against um, Escobar last week. They're not done, and I'm glad that they're going with Raquel Gonzalez and Wild to go against MSK first for the tag team championships. I think those guys two on two will have excellent tag team matches. So I liked all this. Me too. I think Kushida could have been used somewhere outside of 205 live cruiserweight champion, but at least what they're doing is entertaining me. But uh, yeah, I agree with you on the the tag team aspect of it. Good stuff. I I, I thought this was good. Yep. All right, so Mercedes Martinez, I talked about this earlier. She cuts a promo on NXT Women's Champion Raquel Gonzalez and says, uh, it seems like she's scared. We hear fans in the arena booing Martinez. She says Gonzalez may be the champion, but she's still in the shadow of Dakota Kai. Mercedes offers to take Kai out, uh, so nothing will stand in between the two of them for the title. And it looks like Mercedes is going to play a role, Chris, I believe, in making Raquel now into a baby face. I think that's her job. I'm assuming within this feud, uh, because it seems like people are going to start wanting to, well, even though there's no one there, they'll want to start cheering for Raquel Gonzalez. Who's been a bad guy pretty much all the way until beating EO. I have to agree with you, man. I think you laid it out perfectly. Not, not too much. I can add on that one. Honestly, uh, that what you just said made, makes a whole hell of a lot of sense for for all of the people involved. I do what I can, Chris. I do what I can. It's a gift, actually. Um, <laughs> Johnny Gargano is talking with Austin Theory about how Theory got booked in a match with Bronson Reed. Candice LeRae stumbles up and she's all beaten up. Indy Hartwell walks up and asks what happened to Candice. She reveals that when she saw William Regal. Uh, and he's giving them a title shot against Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. Candice is in a bad mood. Yeah, I didn't know what the fuck any of this was. Like, what was Candice implying? She had jumped by Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart? Like, it makes sense. All right, they're doing two and two uh, again for a rematch. But this was uh, this was really fucking confusing, Chris. Yeah, and we're slowly starting to get back into that whole thing of me seeing the Gargano family way too fucking much on the show. <laughs> yeah, this is three segments, four segments on a two-hour show. Probably a bit much there. Um, you know, also what's not good is that I'm starting to like the uh, Gargano children more than the Garganos. <laughs> it's kind of easy to do. Um, I mean, at least. Hopefully, at some point, we'll get a payoff with a really good match with Austin Theory and Johnny Gargano, right? Here's hoping. Uh, does he need to get struck by lightning and all of a sudden he's smart? Or are they setting up Matt Riddle to have a tag team of two? Like, maybe they're going to do the dynamic dudes and have them bleach blonde their hair, and then John Laurinaitis will escort them to the ring. I mean that kind of sounds amazing in a in a, in a company that in a company that doesn't have a lot of good tag teams. Dane, that actually kind of sounds amazing. I'm not gonna lie. Oh man! <laughs> All right, so the next one, Everrise Imperium, Imperium One. So we can get that over with. Um, 
And at one point, it really happened because Killian Dane came out to confront Alexander Wolf and bicker back and forth, and that distracted them and Imperium won. So, there you go. Imperium without Walter. So exciting. I feel bad for those guys because every time I see <laughs> him, I'm just like, where the fuck is Walter? <laughs> you guys are missing one dude. One big dude. One very important guy. Uh, I like Imperium. I think they're they've been pretty good. How long until they go to the main roster? I guess they're holding them there just because Volter is not gone to the main roster, right? He's holding them back, man. That son of a bitch. But I mean, they would be a good tag team on the main roster, right? No, someone they would. They would be against... solid tag team. Yeah, someone to bounce against. Uh either the Street Profits or the Usos or New Day or uh, Viking Raiders. I feel like they could fit kind of all of those different needs. So I, I like Imperium. It's just every time I see him, I get very sad because I'm like, Falter, why you no biggest superstar in WWE? Why isn't he fighting against Brock Lesnar? Uh, uh. All right. Uh, last match, Kyle O'Reilly. Cameron Grimes. They had a pretty damn good match, man. Um, actually, from what I remember from this match, it was really good between the two of them. Uh, as thought, though, you know, without shenanigans, Kyle O'Reilly won. Um, he hit a brain buster in the middle of the ring. He goes up top, does his uh, diving knee, which he does really well, man. And some people haven't gotten that over since what? Bobby Eaton? The, the jumping knee strike? I know that Bruiser Brody did that before him, but that's a really cool move. And if you catch it with the camera white, it looks fucking just murderous. And after the match, O'Reilly stands tall as his music hits. And NXT goes off there. No secrets, no craziness. No Adam Cole coming out of nowhere and hitting him in the back of the head and saying that you're a piece of shit. Just that was it. Trailed off. If you can't tell, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I thought this was the best match of the night. How did you Absolutely. how did you feel about it? Yeah. Yep. So I, I thought it was a good setup, decent show. Nothing completely groundbreaking here, but a good overall NXT show. All right. So then we go over to another night of Wednesday cuz there's no wars anymore. No wars. And we have AEW Dynamite. We start off with the match Ricky Starks and Adam Hangman Page. And I just have to start off by saying, based on this match, based on Hobbs later on uh, going against um, Hobbs going against uh, Christian, Taz, based on where JR is now within his announcing career, very different than I think, obviously, he was years ago. Um, not saying that he's bad. He's still fucking Jim Ross. Same thing with Tony. Excalibur is a good play-by-play guy. But to me, whenever Taz comes on, there is two things that he does. He, because he's so good at being, being able to bring credibility based on a wrestler's standpoint, he's great at being a heel color commentator. He's great with play-by-play. He kind of, to me like shows up the rest of the guys and you're like, wait, why isn't he a part of the broadcast? And because he's so good at doing the, the, the broadcasting a lot of times it's unbelievable. The second problem I have that 
he'll give credit to the baby faces his guys are going against that they inevitably lose to. And when they beat him, he's like, oh, you know, that's okay. Adam Page, he's a good competitor, blah, blah, blah. And then he leaves the booth and is like, hey, you piece of crap. You did this because you suck. You know, it, 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 it just takes me out of it. So the two things I take away from that is that Taz still needs to be down against the other guy if he's going to do these commentating things. But also, he should be doing a lot more commentating. I'm sorry. His group always loses. And I think that this is a good match between Ricky Starks and Adam Page. Don't get me wrong. Um, really good back-and-forth match. But at the same time, I don't know. It, it's... Uh, when the fuck are they going to get wins? Like, when, when is anyone on this group going to get wins? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I, like I said, I really like the match between the two guys. What did you think, Chris? I have to agree with you. I, I thought this match was very, very damn good. Uh, obviously, two great in-ring personalities. I'm still not a huge Ricky Starks fan as far as his promos and such, but... Uh, he's really good in the ring, and they had a good match. I like Hook being more involved. I think that's fun. Uh, Taz on commentary, I thought was great. He does he does the classic thing, man. He's never going to completely bury the opponent because then if your guy does win, they look like shit. Or if they lose, they look like shit. You so you got to put if you know the finish, you got to try to make your guy look as good as possible. Taz does a good job on that, but it is weird that he it, like every time they lose, they're like, all right, well. Like you just said, Taz steps out and he's like, piece of crap. Um, Look behind you was just, that was a little much to me. Like Adam Page wouldn't realize that because it kind of makes him the dumb baby face, which I'm never a huge fan of. But uh, is this leading up to Team Taz versus Adam Page and people from the Dark Order also on that Blood blood and Guts show? Because that's kind of where it seemed like it was going. And also, where the fuck was Will Hobbs if he was in the building having a match later if he's going to... His team's gonna show up and do a beatdown, but he's not part of it. That that those are the two things that like kind of irked me, I guess, about the segment and match. But the match itself was really, really damn good. And Hangman Page is number one for the title, right? Yeah, he's the number one contender. What do you see happening with that? I, I don't see it going on Hangman Page if it's anytime soon. Well, their next pay-per-view is like two or three months out, so I guess we will see, right? The next pay-per-view yeah. would be in June. So there's a lot of crap that could happen. Either the end of May or the middle of June, I think, would be their next scheduled pay-per-view. A lot of crap can happen in between there. Um, but you've got to shed the Dark Order from him. I don't really want to see the elite versus the dark order to set up a match between Kenny Omega and Adam page, even though I think that match, the match in itself, I think they've already done, but would be really great, especially with the title on the line. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's, it's definitely interesting. And, uh, yeah, I always forget that they don't do pay-per-views every month. They kind of space them out. So they definitely have time to build, but I don't know. Uh, I love Adam Page. I think that he's got so much talent. Do you think the Dark Order, that stuff needs to end sometime soon? Do you think that that's hurting him at all? I don't think it's hurting him because he doesn't play into their shenanigans, really. They're just kind of his friends. 
So it's almost like how Dusty had just a bunch of random ass people that were his friends that would show up and help him if the horsemen were beating his ass. So from that aspect, I like it, but I'm I'm afraid that we're going to end up getting the elite and the Dark Order having matches without the focus on Adam Page actually chasing the title. So I guess I'm just kind of in the mid- middle on it because there's stuff I like about it, but there's also stuff I could point out that I don't like about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird concept. Like, I think this comparison's a little bit too hard because this is the one that I think it was Cornette that brought up because I don't think Adam Page, even now compared to 97 Austin, is even on the same level of even trying to compare. But saying like, you know, you got 1997. What if Stone Cold Steve Austin was hanging out with the fucking oddities? Wouldn't that look really fucking weird? But I guess it's not at that level, so it's not really too big of a deal. But they need to become more and more in the background, especially if he gets that title. Yeah, I mean, if they're just coming out because he's getting beat down, to me, that's not that big of a deal. It's just he doesn't need to be in constant segments with them. Because it's okay for a babyface to have friends. They're supposed to be the good guys. You would think they would have the most friends. WWE, looking at you specifically. <laughs> Bastards. You know, like if, if Dusty Rhodes was getting his ass whipped by the four horsemen, fucking, oh, here comes Rick Steiner. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you should have friends. Like, and, and, and to contradict the same thing on on the show, John Moxley is is his only friend <laughs> is Eddie Kingston, which makes literally no sense because Impact is trying to take over the fucking company. So, I I, I could go either way on this one. I don't know if I'd want to be friends with Moxley if that's going to be his driving habits. That's probably not the best idea. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Seems like Nick Gage will pop out of the back of that truck at any second. <laughs> Scary motherfucker. Don't cut off my tongue, motherfucker. <laughs> Babyface Nick Gage incoming to AEW. You heard it here first. Yep. XWWE. <laughs> all right. Elite shows up. They all get in their trailer. They're ready to party down. And watch what's happening on television. We have a match with Pentel L Zero M I'm Pentagon versus Trent. Chris, I don't remember the question mark. Is that like a play on the fact that he doesn't go by Trent Beretta? Like, why are we doing the question mark? Jim Ross was very concerned about this. I thought it was a tribute to question mark. And maybe that's why he was doing it, but I could be okay. wrong. So if he's doing it for that reason, then I'm completely fine with it. No one's going to be like, Trent? Question mark? You know, like when you say it. But if he's just doing it as a tribute or something. That's how I read into it, but maybe that's not the case. I have no idea. Uh, I do know that this match was fucking really good, and Trent Beretta is incredible. Yeah, man. And one thing I want to say is Alex Abrentes, I love him as Penta's heel fucking uh, manager. And, I, and he seemed like he actually studied what heel managers do because he was doing all that. He was distracting. He was being a dick. When he grabbed the microphone and then ended up saying something about Trent's mother, which lured him into the ring, where Orange Cassidy thought that he was going to fucking, you know, step to him. But that was all a ploy from Pentagon. Got both of them and then ended up getting the win from Trent. Uh, I like this combination, man. And I think Alex is doing a pretty good job. He looks like he's having a lot of fun with it. But uh, great match. 
Good stuff. One of the only things this was pointed out by Tony Schiavone. Trent, you just got back from like a torn chest, a torn pec. Be careful since you're so fucking tall with your Topicon Helos because he fucking nailed the garter rail with his knee and it looked painful as shit and just landed in the cement part a little bit over Pentagon. So, yeah, you know, might want to tone that down a bit, but these guys are both great. Um, Pentagon is such a great character. I mean, it makes sense why he doesn't go for pins right away and... He's just cocky and he's arrogant. He's a fucking, he's an asshole. And the, the combination of him and Alex, I think, is a pretty good combination. I have to agree with you. And we kind of predicted it when they started doing those interviews with Pentagon and, and Ray Phoenix, where they would, <laughs> where they would let him translate. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's good. The only, the only thing I don't like about this, Dane, is he's also still in the dark triangle which I think is a babyface group. Well, remember what Cody said. There's no such things as baby faces and heels. They're just water. Or some shit. Fucking Dusty Rhodes is rolling over in his grave hearing that shit. Uh, but <laughs> there is a such thing. You can't have a... Like, Alright, say I'm doing a comic movie, Dane. Mm-hmm. What if everyone was just Bizarro Superman? <laughs> <laughs> there's no good guys there's no bad guys it's just bizarre supermans it's it's a fucking terrible 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 idea you need a protagonist and an antagonist that's how you write a story otherwise it's just a bunch of people hanging out and you're doing reality tv so if if cody did say that fuck you you're wrong sorry cody yeah, he just basically said that you should be able to counter back and forth. You know, it doesn't it shouldn't really matter that we're all informed of 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 the people now, so we should pretend. Yeah, it just all a bunch of fucking bullshit. This is a couple months back, trying to stick up for short. I think it was basically because of the young bucks when they were quote unquote bad guys. They were just kicking people in the face, but they were the good guys in the fucking program. It just, I I, I understand you have to cover your ass. In, in reasoning, but and don't get me wrong, Triple H does this shit too, but uh, yeah, this is, that's illogical there always has to be heels and baby faces yeah, because otherwise you, you can't cheer for both people all the time or not cheer for both people all the time you know what I mean, like if there's no rooting interest why the fuck am I even watching it I mean the I reason the reason people are such diehard sports fans is they pick their team and that's their rooting interest. Even if their team sucks, like there's Cleveland Browns fans out there that dealt with the Cleveland Browns for years and years and years. I'm a Jets fan. Sometimes you just like your team sucks for a long time, but they're all, you always have a rooting interest because they're your good guy. You know what I mean? It's same thing with any kind of novel or, or film. So to say that there's no such thing as like heels and baby faces or good guys and bad guys in pro wrestling that just means that your product sucks to me. Well, you know, maybe because of your criticism, the next time Tony Khan, when he's booking, he'll do an extra bump. Anyways, let's move on. Do, 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 do. All right. So we had Jim Ross and he was sitting down with the pinnacle uh, about to talk about stuff. 
I felt bad. I know that they had a big interview last time, but I kind of felt bad for for FTR just chilling there. Um, kind of look awkward, and especially Sean. Sean Spears hasn't said a fucking thing this whole entire time. He's like, oh, wait, are, am I not saying anything? Oh, okay, that's fine. All right. You know, I'll just, I'll, I, I got in a suit. You know, I thought this would be a time for me to talk, but all right, that's fine. You know, I, I feel like he says that afterwards. But MJF killed it with this promo. Um, I mean, <laughs> MJF says he's not great. Uh, he's not great, but he's he's great for being 25. What's the comment that Chris made? He says that's horseshit. He says he's a top guy at 25, and when Jericho was 25, he was jerking the curtain for small companies. He talks about how he already beat Jericho, questioning where that puts him on the totem pole. He says in his mind it makes him better than him, and he knows it. He brings up Mike Tyson putting his hands on his brothers. He, he talks about getting one thing right in his perfect promo is that he is a mark, not for Chris Jericho, but for his spot. He promises on uh, May 5th, along with his family, he's going to take it, because when you're in the pinnacle, you're always on top. Um, he also got a new spring scarf from Tully. That was a nice little present uh, that was brought up beforehand. And uh, Wardlow said that, you know, talked for a little while and said that Chris Jericho fucked up. And he knew he did because he stumbled on his words uh, saying what he was going to say about him. I forgot the exact phrase, but Chris Jericho reversed it on accident. So they used that in this thing. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this match. Uh, I thought there could have been no scarf thing with more conversation by everyone, but whatever. It's fine. There's going to be more promos building up to this. And Sean Spears is still there, so that's good. Awesome promo from MJF. Would not be responded by an awesome promo from Chris Jericho later on. I'll just say that. I, uh, I want to say that I think this is MJF's best AEW promo. Uh, I love the intensity. I love that he took what his opponent or who he is going against said previously, rebuttaled it, and uh, made some remarks that make sense in storyline in both the history of the company. So I fucking thoroughly enjoyed this because it's rare to see promos get cut like that. Um, the scarf thing, I could have took, took, you know, take or leave kind of. It makes sense because Tully wasn't there. And uh, Wardlow. Not as bad on the mic as I thought he was going to be. Maybe let Wardlow talk more. Let's, let's, let's fill that out. Because I, am a, I, I think there's a lot behind Wardlow they could be doing that they're not doing currently. Yeah, I will state that this is something that uh, from wrestling, Justin Labar, he also does uh, Busted Open. Uh, he's a manager in the promotion up in uh, Pennsylvania, up, over in, um, not Pittsburgh, yeah, Pittsburgh, uh, because he used to manage Wardlow there. Uh, also coming from there is uh, Britt Baker, so he knows her very, very well. But he was saying, I wish that they would give uh, Wardlow a chance to talk on the mic, because he can cut a promo. He doesn't have to just be a heavy. Like, he's actually pretty damn good on the mic. So I'm glad we're slowly seeing that, because eventually – this is all going to come down to Chris Wardlow and MJF blowing up sometime in the future, whenever that happens, and Wardlow getting positioned probably as a babyface in the heavyweight division, I would say. 
I could see that, or I could also see Chris Jericho being the odd man out, maybe him and Sammy Guevara, and you get like the combination of the two factions together, similar to NWO and NWO Wolfpack. It just depends on uh, how they're going to go down this road. Roads, roads, yeah. All right, next match I thought was an awesome match. Uh, we have for the AEW Women's Championship, Kuroshida against Ty Conti. Um, I like the uh, the promo stuff beforehand of Kuroshida practicing on the beach with her martial arts and just throwing these kicks and shit. And then shows Ty Conti um, at her BJJ place uh, that she is, you know, a student at and performing and, you know, just saying I think that she's, you know, overlooking me because I do have my um background in bjj and i am a formidable opponent and she did kind of give her props but saying she was going to win and she did but it was a pretty damn good match um back and forth uh, i definitely thought this was conti's best match and this is something i also told to tom uh, i thought this was the most interesting and best she has looked in a very long time because i actually gave a, a, a fuck about her in this match and you know, Sheeta got the uh, DD tie, uh, but she got out of it, and it was. I think that Ty Conti's facial expressions are great, by the way. Um, she just looked like she was devastated, and then finally Sheeta was able to get her back. She got some kicks, she got a backbreaker, and then she got it. Uh, her, followed it up with her finisher, and still champion Sheeta afterwards. Now that uh, Britt has been showing up on all the YouTube shows as of lately, has racked up some wins, and she was second, and uh, Ty Conti lost. She has now moved to number one. So that will be our match probably coming up at that pay-per-view, I would assume, uh, unless they actually... Uh, the belt's going on Brit, basically, is what I'm saying. So if they do it on Dynamite in the future, Brit's getting that title. I don't know why they would keep it on Cheetah. And if we're building to the pay-per-view, I hope we have enough time to do shit for that. To me, you got to get this done with, and even if it's on Dynamite, just put the title on Brett. Right? I have to agree with you in, in much of everything you just said. Um, this was a very, very good match. Ty Conte's gotten a lot fucking better from the first time I've seen her until now. She still does this awkward run thing that I kind of talked about when she's either hitting the ropes or running towards a move. She does like a little weird stumble step that bothers me, but that's nitpicking. I thought the match itself was very good and uh, it makes a lot of sense to do, you know, Ty versus, or not Ty, but uh, Brit versus Fikirishita. I think it's time. I feel like I probably would have pulled the trigger directly after that hardcore match and not delayed it so long, especially because you don't really actually care about who's number one and who's number two, except for like every other couple months. Um, <laughs> so uh, that being that being said, uh, it, it, it was a good match. I'm excited to see Britt Baker versus Kirishita, especially if, if Britt's going to end up going over. I feel like Britt Baker is a baby face, whether they want her to be or not, which is pot potentially a problem for them. Yeah, I think they don't want that to happen, but she is going to get over so much. That it, she has no choice. Um, 
but who knows? We'll have to wait and see. One thing that was kind of cool and brought up, um, Busted Open, they interviewed earlier in the interview, Deanna Perrazzo, the, uh, we talked about Impact Knockout Champion, and later talked to Tony Khan. And Deanna said that she just wants, well, she was, she was assured that Britt was going to take that title off of Hikuru Shida and their best friend. So she just wanted to let it be known, like, you know, you can do these crossover matches with Impact with the titles, why not the women's titles? And she was proposing not even a title on the line sort of thing. Maybe doing the, whether it be Deeb or if Thunder Rosa gets it back. It would be cool if it was Thunder Rosa. But, you know, NWA women's champion against AEW women's champion against Impact women's champion at either Dynamite or something for Impact in the future to crown who's the, you know, top champion basically. Not winner takes all or anything like that. And I was like, if they were to do that, because they brought up Tony and Tony liked the idea, I don't know if there's been groundworks or talking that beforehand, but they have Deanna on one side, Britt Baker, they're best friends in real life, and Thunder Rosa wins back that title, which Deeb, I believe, is injured. So I don't know if she's going to have to drop it or not, but she's been out for a while with injury. So, you know, Thunder Rosa gets that. And maybe it's at the start of the match, the two heels just beat the living shit out of Thunder Rosa to give you that type of hope or, you know, to take her out of it. And then they end up fighting against each other or something like that. But uh, even if it was just Britt against Deanna Perrazzo, you know, I think that that would be a fun thing to do. They definitely have a women's division to mess with over an impact, but it's up to Tony on that. And I think that was the main thing she was trying to say is like, hey, don't forget the girls over here. You know, we're here. We want to fight them. Let's fight, Chris. <laughs> uh, where's Thunder Rosa? She's been showing up on NWA and cutting promos on Camille, who beat her for number one contender. Um, but like I said, Dee's been out. Who's the champion? on a minor injury, but I don't know how long she's going to be out for. So I don't know if they're going to fucking strip the title from her and make Thunder Rosa and Camille have another match for the title. Yeah, I was just curious because it seems like Britt Baker kind of skipped her in line somehow for whatever this ranking system is because I don't remember Thunder Rosa taking a lot of losses on TV, but she's also not gaining a lot of wins on AEW Dark. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know where Thunder Rosa is in the standings or if they even have her in the standings because, you know, she's NWA. Weird. It's just weird. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's cool. The idea of bringing in like someone like Jordan Grace, I think would be really awesome. Just a fresh face to the women's division in AEW in general would be good, I think. But don't I agree. Just, just don't do that shit on like dark constantly and also don't just do like a huge ass battle royal please for the love of god do not do like another casino battle royal yeah i agree with that all right well we had the best man miro with another message uh this was another pre-taped vignette talking about anyone who has a title he has a problem with he doesn't care if it's you know uh the uh, I was about to say the NXT, the AW uh, TNT title or the World Heavyweight title. He's going to destroy them and vows uh, nothing will happen uh, in the course of his destiny. And 
He still hasn't found Kip, but once he does, he's going to rip his head off his body, basically. So, you know what I thought about this, Chris? It was a good promo for Miro. Too bad they fucking spent the whole entire duration at the beginning of it fucking him up so much I don't care about him. Why couldn't he come on like this? Dumb. Agree with you. I agree with you 100%, but this promo was so fucking great. It was so great. What did he call Steve? He called... He's like... I'm going to take on Darby Allen and his emo emo face paint daddy, Steen. I <laughs> for like 20 minutes straight. I had to pause. I had to pause the promo and rewind, rewind it because I was laughing so hard. Uh, there's some great stuff in that promo. It's maybe not as good as the MJ, MJF promo, but it was damn good. And like you could have done that from the beginning, like you said. But uh, at least they're moving forward, and I don't think it's too late to rebuild Miro because they've kept him strong at least in all of his matches. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I think that they have kept him strong. It's just there's an icky taste uh, with where they went beforehand. So here's hoping that he changes that. So we had an interview with Tony Schiavone, and he talks all of the inner circle. Uh, for the love of God, please don't give Jake Hager a mic because I'm pretty sure that he told the inner circle that they were going to have to eat their own meat. Like, I don't think he meant it the way it came out, but it was very awkward. But he had straws and he threw them. And he said, the only thing that you're going to be able to eat is your own meat through a straw. That has to be one of the most awkward statements ever made in a fucking promo because all the guys, including Jericho, was like, what did you say? We're live, pal. <laughs> he brought straws with them. See, Jake was trying to go the Macho Man route. Is like, uh, you know, he used to just grab objects and come and do a promo. No, Savage was so good at promoing that he realized even if he brought a cup of coffee or a creamer, he could fucking cut a promo about that, buddy. What the hell were you talking about with straws? And basically, did you want them to eat their own genitals through a straw? Like, what the fuck were you talking about? But I thought that was the funniest part of a fucking bad Jericho interview. He had, like, a set amount of straws, I guess, one for each person in the inner circle instead of having a whole box. Well, you know, I counted, so. (laughs) He he threw the majority of them before the camera ever got to him, so he's just holding a singular straw. It looks weird as fuck. And then, like you said, eat your own. I'm going to break your jaw and eat your own meat. And I'm like, what the? (laughs) My wife is like, he's always been terrible. He's so awkward. (laughs) I was like, you're not wrong. He has kind of always been terrible on the mic. He's just like an awkward guy on the mic, man. He doesn't have to talk. <laughs> like, not all wrestlers have to talk, Dane. And he should maybe be in that level of like, man, hey, maybe don't talk so much. Not that Jericho did him any favors, but like poor Pride and Powerful, they had to promo directly after <laughs> after that. And I think it threw the entire thing out of whack. <laughs> It reminded me of that episode of South Park where they make Cartman the hall monitor. So he starts doing the dog, the bounty hunter thing. And Kyle meets up with them and he's like, you know, obviously Cartman's all dressed with dog and he's got like his, what's supposed to be like the wife 
um, and this random sidekick, and the sidekick every so often is like, he gonna beat by the dog. And Kyle's like looking at him like, what the fuck? Like that's what I got out of him was like meathead statement talking about eating your meat with straws. <laughs> just. Well, it's just, it was just so bad because in comparison to Wardlow, those are supposed to be the two of those guys from the group. Wardlow came off as like a good promo and intellectual. And War- just... Wardlow came off like Beast and he came off like the juggernaut. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, he fucking with my helmet. <laughs> Sorry. I can't get out of here. Um, oh, God. It's the juggernaut, bitch. That should be his gimmick. He'd be the swagger knot. The ha- the haggernaut. Swaggernaut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just be like, swags gotcha. <laughs> like, that's better eat than him setting a promo. <laughs> Can't eat your meat unless you have your cake. No, it's the other way around. It was uh, just Jack. It was it was very bad, and the Jericho stuff wasn't that much better either. Jericho, you're not going unscathed on this review. Uh, but remember how everybody hate this, hated the singing thing? Let's go back to the singing thing. <laughs> Let's just keep it like that. Um, I thought Ortiz looked really good in this. I thought I liked his promo. Chris is just all right. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk about show tunes, you probably don't want to get the audience to fucking you know asking them if if you want to hear the show tunes if you don't actually have anything planned because your whole thing didn't rhyme at all. It was just awkward, and uh, I'm kind of glad this happened because it's like on accident. The pinnacle looks a little bit better this week than than uh, than uh, the inner circle. So it's all building the blood and guts. But yeah, I thought this was one of uh, one of the weaker Chris Jericho promos for sure. And Jake Hake. I, I, I will say this show was live though, so yep. the pinnacle interview was taped. So there point. is there is that. So I'm gonna give him a little bit of credit, but uh, I don't think MJF would have been stumbling in general with what he cut. But yeah, we you know, Bright and Powerful looked good. <laughs> Can we just have them be a good tag team? Maybe by chase, themselves, chase the fucking titles. <laughs> maybe well. maybe give them Eddie Kingston. You know, Moxley needs some help. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man, them and Kingston would be great. That makes more sense than anything. They've already been in a group before. Yeah. And like Kingston calls him up and he's like, hey, Moxley, I got some friends that might roll through and it's pride and powerful. And then you get intercepted. Hey, you guys, how you doing? Remember that one time that kid got shot? It was crazy. But, you know, I like you. Do you love that Eddie Kingston is just constantly doing DMX references now? <laughs> yep. He ain't going <laughs> to stop either. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, but this uh, the Jericho promo was uh, his worst on AEW, by far. All right, so we go to the next match: Billy Gunn versus QT Marshall. QT is, and if it wasn't fucking suggested by Tony like six times, Shivani. I don't know if Tony Khan was in his ear because it's been his idea, but they referenced Tony Soprano. So QT Marshall is supposed to be. Kind of Tony Soprano-ish with this group, his half. Um, thought the match was fine. He went against Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn's still fucking amazing. My biggest problem with this match, you have, of course, Aaron Solo and Nick Camarado chilling 
around the stage. And there was that spot where you didn't know if Nick was going to get involved in the match. And the gun club, his two sons, ended up jumping over and just beating the crap out of the two of them. It's not going to be really scary later on, especially based on what this guy looks like. If Dustin comes out with a chair, and it it's a wooden chair, it splinters over his head, doesn't do shit to him. If you had Billy Gunn's fucking kids getting the advantage of him uh, at some point, I just thought that was kind of dumb. At one point, Anthony Gogo comes out, gives him the liver punch, uh, which fucks up Billy Gunn, and he gets a cutter. Another, like I thought the match was good. I'm going to see where this goes. I'm still not really into it. But Nick Camarado, if he didn't get his ass kicked by Billy Gunn's two small children, uh, I thought that would be more effective when you try to make him look like a monster later on. And I'm sorry, I understand he bestowed upon you. Diamond cutters are not heelish. I know Randy does the RKO, but I feel like even as a heel, Randy's over. So I don't know if I would do that as my finisher either. But that's just me. Uh, What do you think about Tony Soprano? Uh, he's not Tony Soprano. We'll get that out of the way first. You want to hear some scrawlings of a madman, Dane? Because I have some good-ass notes for this match, if so. Sure, sure, sure. Hit him. All right. <laughs> match starts. Holy fuck, Billy Gunn is large. <laughs> large in, in charge. <laughs> Almost 60. <laughs> and then I then I said the same thing you said. I was like, I beat the shit out of Nick Camarado. He looks like he made trip pants from Hot Topic into a jacket. <laughs> Hold on, it gets better. Then the finish happened. I was like, in, a, in, a, in an arena full of <laughs> steel seats, they managed to find the one wooden lawn chair. <laughs> it's, it's like Easter all over again. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, if you're going to dome someone in the head with a chair, don't use a fucking gimmick chair. Just have them put their hands up and, and do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I'm not against giving a guy a fucking concussion, but having a one wooden chair or make all the chairs wooden, <laughs> like choose one. I don't know what to tell you. You can't. It looked fucking awkward. Like, why was there one wooden chair, Dane? I don't know. Also, I... I cared more about this when I thought it was just QT Marshall versus Dustin and they were just going to have the match. And now it's became this weird faction thing. And I don't even know who's on Dustin Rhodes' side because they definitely didn't come out to help him. So now it's more like there's a group of people against Dustin Rhodes. Which is fucking weird. I don't know where they go. I, I guess QT against Dustin. QT probably with the use of um, healing it up. Uh, distraction, something, wins a match, and then bloodies up Dustin, fucks him up, maybe demands a match against Cody, and Cody gives it to him finally. But uh, I just don't know if this is really doing too much for QT Marshall at all. <laughs> How is he supposed to be like Tony Soprano? They're not doing anything illegal. They're just standing at ringside. If anything, wouldn't Taz's group be more like the Sopranos? Where he actually built a group and they're doing dastardly stuff? Not just attacking old man Dustin Rhodes. Well, the Sopranos actually won once in a while, so actually they they won a majority of it um, till the end. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Taz Group just doesn't win; they always lose. <laughs> the, the, that's how crime doesn't pay, Dane. Everyone always loses. <laughs> 
Hey, you know what? You said it the best, man. You know who's actually like Tony Soprano? Your tribal chief, Roman Reigns. Yeah, Roman fucking Reigns. He's got an actual family with like a kind of a lawyer and Hitman. <laughs> it's the closest thing. If you're looking at the wrestling world, that's definitely the closest to it. Unless you're going to go back to uh, Bullet Club when they had the the cleaner and AJ Styles and the Good Brothers, etc. This is probably the closest you would get to a mafia type deal. Yep. Alrighty then. Uh, we had the segment where the elite, they're partying in their trailer, just having a great time, and everyone's cutting promos about stuff in the future of people they're going to whoop their ass of. And Kenny Omega starts trying to finish the promo near Beef's outside. And you're like, what the hell is that? Kenny Omega tries to do it again, and finally he's like, can someone shut them up? Who is that? And it's the truck. We see the truck. And then we see that it's Moxley and Eddie Kingston, and they just nail the shit out of the trailer. Then go around. Uh, I love the banter back and forth between Moxley and and and, uh, and Eddie Kingston. It's 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 great. Uh, there's a steel uh, pole handed from Eddie to John. They barely check out the trailer. Just decide, oh, they must have gotten away. And I'm like, how the fuck are you guys not going to look around when you hit? the right side of the motherfucker and you're at the left side so where'd they go are, are you not going to really look but whatever there's a funny point where after bashing the window in uh i guess moxley had to go and throw the pipe in it again and it ricocheted and almost nailed eddie in the head and he's like hey can you fucking not throw the fucking poles over here you know just just bitching back and forth this was kind of it was good but it was kind of sloppy at the same time i'll say th- this this was like if ecw tried to do a Austin segment from Monday Night Raw. So the the thing ECW would not do is you would you wouldn't hear the truck sounds, you wouldn't hear the horns and stuff because the in gimmick is they weren't actually there. Like they were at the building, but what time were they at the building? It's probably pre-recorded, etc. That it, I mean because otherwise they just fucking disappeared. I guess Bray Wyatt showed up and and sprinkled oh, some God magic. I want to come over here. We don't have to do it all the time. <laughs> uh, so to me, that's what killed it because I guess the idea is that they outsmarted John Moxley, but it didn't make any sense because wouldn't he just continuously run his truck into other <laughs> like semis until he found the right one? Uh, when they did that, I expected them to get like jump him. Honestly, like I thought that was the that was going to be the idea is like, ah, we tricked you, but they didn't even do that. So I was confused on the entire segment. But like you said, uh, Moxley and Eddie Kingston just shooting the shit basically and yelling at each other is fucking solid gold. So gave it a little bit of pass. Also, what the fuck were they wearing? Like there are so many bad outfits <laughs> in this trailer. Anderson's got on like a leather or crocodile fedora. I thought Matt Jackson had a dress on, but I'm not sure what that was. There's a dude in like a white pimp coat. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> what were they doing in this trailer day? They're just the coolest, man. They got to be the, the most stylish of all the, uh, the fashions. I think Seth Rollins fashion designer is fucking making their attire as well. That's a that's an insult to both Seth Rollins and his fashion designer. 
what do they call that though? That new like really it looks like basically eighties wrestling outfits, but made in the suits. Because it's always overly flashy, that drip style of suits. It looks oh, stupid. Yeah, yeah the the drip. Uh, I, well, Matt Jackson was, I guess he was wearing just a really long t-shirt and shorts. But yeah, I thought he had a, a dress. I didn't have my contacts in. I was like, is he wearing a dress? My wife's like, he's not wearing a dress. I was like, that'd be f- he should. That'd be fucking weird. Something to talk about, <laughs> at least. It like, worked out for fucking Dennis Rodman, right? Uh, yeah, like, I, I just, like, what the hell is going on? Why has Anderson got this, like, gator skin fedora on? And, like, it was just a weird scene. Don Callis showing up with his fucking sweats and <laughs> Oakleys on. Like, go, like, it, all right, if you guys scathed listeners out there, if you just kind of watched this and didn't really pay attention... Go back and look at all of the outfits in this scene because I feel like they were trolling us on purpose. No, they definitely were. Oh Lord. But yeah, that's uh that was that. So we then had a match between Powerhouse Hobbs and Christian Cage. Tabs back on commentary. Same thing. Incredible on commentary, might be the best guy on commentary on on any of the fucking things, wherever he's needed. So that's something to think about. Um when we're talking about that that one hour show that I'm assuming might actually be on the weekends that's going to be coming out um, from AEW. I think Taz, he does it on Tuesday nights on Dark with uh, Excalibur. And anytime I do watch it, they have great back and forth. It reminds me of him and Tanae. Fuck. I don't know if he ever would want to do it again, but how awesome if they get that one hour show going during the weekend. To get Taz and Mike Tanay back together. Because I think that's a very sad-on commentating team between the two of them. But make Mike turn off the heelness that he used to do or whatever. And kind of just straight be the play-by-play like he was in WCW. That'd be pretty awesome. Taz is really good at fucking announcing is what I'm trying to say. I have to agree with you. And I love that he just does whatever the fuck he wants to on Dark. Dane, you have to go watch all of the Botchamanias with Dark clips where they just... <laughs> Have Taz saying random shit because it's hilarious. My friend pointed it out because I don't watch Dark each week. He's like, "You well, if you're not going to watch Dark each week, you definitely need to just watch Botchamania for Taz commentating because he just says ridiculous shit because it's a YouTube show. Um, it's pretty great. Uh, Mike Tanay, I I would absolutely love that. Last I heard about Mike Tanay, he was like really into sports betting. I guess. And kind of out of wrestling, but that was an interview uh, maybe a couple, like a year or two ago with, I want to say Dave, Dave Meltzer or someone had him on to talk about wrestling and UFC. Oh man, if they if they were to do that, just saying, it's a one hour show, so it's not too much commitment. Mike Tanay is a great play by play. And then maybe eventually have Tony come on to join the three of them just for like a match or something. That would make my little heart just pitter-patter out of my out of my chest maybe maybe sting will request the commentating team of taz mike today and tony shivani am i what the hell did i do <laughs> um i i would love to see it because i, I mike today was fine on impact it's just it was really hard to comment on impact because there's always like 75 fucking things happening in every match when taz and mike today were on commentary together. God, when he was in WCW, whenever you watch those cruiserweight matches, he's so good 
at describing and telling every detail. He's basically what Excalibur strives to be. And I don't think that's not an insult to Excalibur, but that position person that knows that much about the moves that can tell you just random facts. I loved Bobby Heenan. He'd be like, it's kind of like how Jim Ross acts against Excalibur. Like, he'll say something. He'll be like, huh, that's what you call it. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> like, how do you know? I remember one time Jim Ross goes, why is it called the Tiger Driver 93? And, and uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Excalibur's like, well, because it was made in 1993 by Masao. And he goes, oh, Masao, okay, never mind. Like, just, just babble to himself like, Oh, this is an old wrestler's move, and it was actually after the year it was made. Gotcha. Oh, uh, funny yeah, Tanay was Tanay was really good at that, especially like getting to know the luchadors and knowing all of the different names for their moves and stuff. Like, I think he's one of the first people I remember as a kid seeing Hurricane Rana on American TV. Um, in juxtaposition, we have this ESPN guy on Monday Night Raw who knows the names of no moves and literally nothing about wrestling, but he is the primary announcer. Good job, guys. Hire yeah, the right what, dude. <laughs> you know what makes so much sense is that instead of putting Tom Phillips back with the original NXT cast of him, Corey Graves, and, and uh, Byron Saxon, who I thought did a great job on SmackDown together, hey, take him, make him the producer behind everyone and working on fucking 205 live and bring a brand new guy that barely knows wrestling to do commentating with you fucking idiots. Goddamn. And I, I can't, I can't think of the guy's name right now. Uh, I just feel very bad for him because he's getting skating reviews and it's not really his fault. Like he got hired for a job. Well, actually, you know what? It is kind of your fault. If you get hired for a fucking wrestling job, spend two weeks watching wrestling. I don't know. (laughs) You know what? Fuck that guy. Now that I'm thinking about it, Dane, look, if you get hired for a You know job, who gives oh. no excuses? Pat McAfee, man. Because he's on fucking point uh, with his announcing. So I, I, I was about to say that, but I know me as a person. If I got hired to do football commentary, for instance, I would damn sure watch a fuck ton of football <laughs> before showing up and maybe just know the general idea of how it works. Yep. I agree. All right, so with the match of Powerhouse Hobbs and Christian Cage, man, Christian took a beating in this. I I didn't want to see Christian lose necessarily, but a fluke win for Powerhouse Hobbs would have been, like, really big for him and kind of, like, would have humbled Christian a bit, maybe taken him back with his character, you know? But uh, once again, it was just awkward because they lose, and then Taz's like, oh, God dang it, and then he goes off. But um, they fought in the crowd. Uh, well, I should say he took, you know, fucking Christian and launched him into the crowd. He, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs, uh, knocks Serpentico into um, Igor or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, and I guess they'll probably end up trying to make a match on Dark with those two teams because anyone gives a shit. But um, good stuff, man. Hobbs looked like a badass. Uh, he looked like a powerhouse. They brought up the story. That I thought was really cool of uh, Hacksaw Butch Reed uh, apparently gave Hobbs a call after seeing him on Dynamite before he passed away and said that he thought he had a lot of potential and saw a lot in him. And I thought about it. You know, it'd be really I know it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That's why they don't do it. But instead of Powerhouse Hobbs, Hacksaw Hobbs really has a ring to it. Um, I think that would actually be kind of cool. But he, he lost. 
Still looked like a million bucks. Christian won. I don't remember if there was an afterbirth. I'm pretty sure there's always a fucking afterbirth, so let me make sure. Nope, that was it. Christian just won. Um, but good stuff. Uh, there's a glaring issue that I forgot to talk about, but I'll, I'll bring that up next uh, with the referees and rules. I'm not sure where the fuck they are anymore. But uh, what did you think, Chris, about this match with Christian Cage and Powerhouse Hobbs? thought it was a pretty good match. They made Powerhouse Hobbs look good, and Christian won with the, the butt face, or the, the imprettier, or unprettier. What, what does he call it now? The kill switch engage? Night, the, the night stick. No, yeah, kill switch. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, that move just looks terrible. It's not something that you can just hit quickly, and it looks like a absolute devastating finisher. I've kind of always hated it. Um especially if you just spent the entire match getting your ass kicked by Powerhouse Hobbs. I would say Christian probably gave him a little too much, especially if they're going to have Christian in the main event picture or setting up some kind of match with him and Cody down the line. Maybe he gave a little too much offense. Outside of that, I mean, the match itself was pretty good. Um, They couldn't do another interference spot because <laughs> they busted their nut earlier in the night. Where Hobbs didn't show up to help his team, and Dark Order chased chased those cats out of the building. So it, that that was a little weird that they put two of the same kind of matches with the same team on the same show, and they both caught losses. So Team Taz, from what I recall, have not won a match in going back to the pay per view four weeks, at least on the main product. Yep. I don't know, man. I do not know. I Should thought... they call the two... Do you think if that more people would watch AEW Dark if they called it AEW Taz? <laughs> Maybe. <It's> just <laughs> Because that's where they get all their wins. And they're like, they have this many wins. I'm like, I didn't see it. I'm so sorry. I also forgot... This is something else that I thought was kind of dumb. The The first match... You know, we have this involving story where Brian Cage seems like he wants to get the fuck out of Taz's group. And, you know, him and Ricky Starks are not seeing eye to eye. Maybe he's, like, insinuating that Taz needs to throw him out if he's going to stay or he's going to get the fuck out of there regardless. And at the end, he comes out and saves Ricky Starks and runs away from a bunch of small dudes. I know that there's a, a, many of them, but the Dark Order, Colt is the biggest fucking member out of all of them, for Christ's sakes. So he runs the fuck off. Would have made more sense for the story if Brian Cage actually, while Page was getting his ass kicked, stopped what was going on and kind of threw more into the storyline. And then the same thing happened where, oh, wait, was, was, was Cage trying to break up the fight and get them to stop hurting Hangman Page? And then the fucking Dark Order just hits the ring and starts a fight with all of them. So it looks like he was a part of it regardless. I just feel like you could have done more with that the progression of the story. You didn't do a lot with Taz's group. They always lose and it just it's 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 what it's what it is. They need some flavor. Maybe some uh, Polynesian flavor. I don't know. I I agree with you on this 100%. It, there's two ways the way you just described would work, but also there's the other way of where he's in there with Team Taz 
And then he starts getting jumped by all of Dark Order, and he's fighting valiantly and destroying guys, but he eventually gets overcame, uh, over, overcome by sheer amount of numbers, but all of Taz's group just leaves. So there's multiple ways you could set that up, but they did dick all with this. He just walked away from the, <laughs> the Dark Order. So uh, here's my advice, and I've said this multiple times. Just put Powerhouse Hobbs and, and Cage in the tag team. Yeah. Two big men right. slapping meat. I agree with you. Or do something with that FTW title. Or, yeah, do something with it. Uh, and listen to this. I don't think it's going to get better for that team because Brian Cage is going against Adam Page next week. Do you think Page is going to lose to Brian Cage? I would think not, unless they don't want to pull the trigger on Cage versus Omega in the future, which is where all roads seem to be leading. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But we ended the night with the TNT Championship match. Uh, Jungle Boy against Darby Allin. Um, I thought this was an awesome match. These guys, along with Paige, along with Hobbs, along with Sammy Guevara, maybe even Ricky Starks, the guys that are in their 20s, these are going to be the guys that will be a part of Dynamite for a long time to come. And these two in general... They've had one match before in the past I thought was awesome. I thought they did a great job with this. I like the little interaction with uh, Luchasaurus, like helping out Darby Allen and Sting being like, oh, hell no, and then kind of doing a horrible fight off up into the thing, but that was fine. But these two dudes, I mean, it's two baby faces, so you got that aspect going against it, but they were just intense, bringing it towards each other. Uh, Jungle Boy doing a little bit of the, uh, the Seth Rollins uh, triple fucking... You know, where he goes out uh, and does the uh, spear through the ropes, then goes back in, does another suicide dive. And the third one, Topicon Hilo, over, nailing Darby Allen perfectly. These guys just connected with most things. I thought they had an awesome match. And uh, Darby Allen doing the fucking coffin drop on the apron uh, and kept on getting in the uh, snare trap, which I love. It doesn't really make much sense. It's like it's it's making you stretch your back a way that you don't have to. And it's basically just STF. Just you're doing it the reverse of your body coming around. But it looks cool, so I guess just keep on doing it. But Darby got out of it and then finally got Jungle Boy. You know, look, it, it looks like you're going in for a Scorpion Deathlock, but just wraps his legs and gets him in for the Last Supper to get the roll-up victory. And Alan retains, and both men... Kind of, you know, they're about to shake hands. Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page come in. They start beating the crap out of the two of them. Not quite sure. They've been winning in the tag division on the other shows. So I don't know why they have beef with Jungle Boy and and, uh, Darby Allin. But of all people, Lance Archer hits the ring and beats the shit out of them. And then stands tall with Sting, who comes back right at the last second. I thought they had a few going. I was so confused at the end of this, Chris. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. But I love the match. Thought it was really good. Really confused about the afterbirth. So they tried to play up the aftermath at the beginning, showing the tag team victories that the team of Luchasaurus had gotten on Dark recently. So I'm assuming maybe they're second or third in the tag standings. And Ethan Page needs to run through them to get to a tag title shot. But I'm also drawing a lot from just assumption of what they were trying to do. 
So I'll talk about the good stuff. This match was incredible. I was not uh, super excited about the finish. Another Darby roll-up pin. And he cheated. (laughs) He cheated to win. He couldn't get out of the trap, so he poked out (laughs) Jungle Boy's eyes. Which, yes, it made Jungle Boy look strong, but it also made Darby look like a complete shitbag heel. And then he won by a roll-up. Big spots in the match. The coffin drop onto the apron was amazing. I thought that was really cool. And there was also a German suplex spot that Darby had on Jungle Boy where he hits the German. And then I think he hits a dragon suplex right after. That was there, There was some really good shit in this match probably too much for me to remember just offhand but looking at my notes it's just like i said scrawlings of madman um i also like luchasaurus he didn't really help jungle boy he just kind of like helped him get his bearings like kind of caught him but then when he got towards the ramp sting was like get the fuck up out of here that was interesting so it's it's weird because they both had heel moments, but they were both baby faces, and and sometimes that works. But uh, can Darby just win a match clean without it being like a roll up pin? You know, I know he's trying to promote the Last Supper as like one of his finishers, but it basically is just an advanced roll up. And outside of the Danny Hodge with the Oklahoma roll, it's never you just don't do some type of interpretation with the roll up. What I think they should do would be really cool is if people now that they've seen him use it more often figure out a way to block it so if they end up doing that or maybe it can happen in one match that leads to other people doing the same thing darby just turns it over into a scorpion death drop instead of leaning forward with it and after wrapping the legs he just fucking goes over all the way because the person's blocking it so well maybe they could incorporate that but i agree that you can't really make a roll up a finisher it just seems cheap for a baby face yeah, I mean, for a baby face specifically. But also, he he's also won by, like, crucifix pin. Isn't that how he beat Cody? He hit him with, like, a crucifix pin or, like, a weird roll-up. Like, it seems like every match I've seen him win, it's, like, a weird roll-up pin as opposed to him just winning. And I, I guess that's fine because, I mean, you out-wrestled the guy. I mean, technically, he did try to poke his eyes out moments before, so that also throws... <laughs> throws shade on it but uh i don't know man i like the match i thought it was a really good match um i do i did say that i think instead of the song they're using for jungle boy come out to walk the dinosaur (laughs) which would be way better to me but uh you know to each their own and the crowd if you're gonna do the oh, oh try to get on rhythm with it because it's fucking terrible to watch on tv yeah, and I people were trying to do that for a chant, and it just sounded just ridiculous. Uh, it sounded like a bunch of people stuck in a well. But anyways, yeah, that was Dynamite. Uh, I thought NXT and Dynamite had really good shows, some things that I weren't wasn't the biggest fan of, and others that were good. Uh, we're going to go home, I think. Um, to the main takeaway that happened, I, I just want to kind of do this as a wrap-up that I still love SmackDown. I still think it's a really good, well-done show. Um, but it seems like they're just using whatever the fuck they're calling WrestleMania Backlash as a way to 
do the matches that they've already done on WrestleMania. Like you have a chance last night where it's Apollo Crews and Kevin Owens for the Intercontinental title. And beforehand, him and Big E have like this big old like square off. And, you know, it's like, whoa, whoa, what if, what if like Kevin Owens gets the icy belt tonight and a fluke win? And then you get to see him and Big E going at it. No, Sami Zayn comes out, distracts him. So you're doing the exact same match. And Apollo is going to be going against Big E again. And all of your raw stuff build up is rematches. Thank God you're not doing it with Orton, though. I will give you that. But the, the, the Raw and SmackDown after Mania sucked. Uh, they were just treated like nothing. I guess now they're going to be treating like they try to do because of Fox. So it'll be more like the September will be like the restarting or whatever. But it's always been after WrestleMania. So I, I actually find that as a stupid excuse. Um, and I just didn't really care about seeing a lot of these matches happen again. I love seeing Charlotte back. I think she's awesome. Now she's off TV for a little while. They they said that she was suspended. I don't want to go into the whole thing. She's getting she, Apparently she's got some work done. That's what I heard. I don't want to get any bad you know, things sent at me on Twitter. But she's off for a couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, that, that was the best thing about it, her. Roman Reigns, best thing about SmackDown, still. Uh, I like this scenario that Roman wants to beat up Daniel because Daniel wants Cesaro to have a match, and he's calling out him for being a bitch, and Roman's like, I beat you twice! Why are you still here? And why do you care if your man gets a title shot? So it looks like we might have Roman against Daniel Bryan again. And Seth Rollins was a part with Jay Lethal to go against the first match against Cesaro and Daniel Bryan at the beginning of the show. They set it up. But you never had any interaction with Roman and Seth, which I found weird. They didn't even acknowledge each other for the promos leading up to it. So just kind of disappointing. I mean, I'm used to that with Raw, but even SmackDown, after WrestleMania, you're supposed to be building up stuff, and I feel like all we're doing is building up to the next pay-per-view, and that's it. And we're doing the same matches that we just did. Nothing's new. Now it seems like they're going Bailey against uh, or Bailey against uh, Bianca, which that will be different. I don't know what Sasha's doing, but uh, yeah, I I'm not happy about it, sir. I don't like it. I also didn't like hearing that Dan O'Brien wasn't really pleased with the match that they had a mania that he didn't want to be a part of it. That you know, since him and Edge both have been creative. For SmackDown, as of recently, he thought that it should just be Edge and Roman. And he wanted to go work in NXT. That was something that he'd been proposing for doing a takeover. But that obviously didn't happen. And he kind of suffered what sounds like a pretty big anxiety attack right beforehand. And doesn't even remember most of the match. And kind of made him question his future when it comes to wrestling. Or just put things in perspective. So I found that kind of not the best to hear. And now Daniel Bryan is the biggest like spokesperson apparently for mayor Cesaro because he wants so badly for his friend to get a match against Roman Reigns. Shouldn't you worry about yourself in that scenario? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying, Chris. I don't know. I think Daniel Bryan at this point in his career just wants to do what Daniel Bryan wants to do. Right. And it's probably not work in WWE at this point. Which we said that before he signed that, before he re-signed his contract and was cleared to wrestle. Like, maybe, maybe you should go somewhere else. Uh, 
Um, man, there's a lot to digest. The Charlotte stuff. Look, man, if you want to improve your body, it's it's your body. It's no one else's fucking opinion. I don't know why Dave Meltzer felt the need to comment on I know he was just doing his job and giving the reason of why she was out, but he should have already known that there's going to be some fucking backlash on that. It's going to happen, dog. Um, so I'm not surprised about that at all. I thought it was funny that Charlotte's like, you could have just called me. So obviously they have some sort of relationship, which is interesting. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens. Didn't Kevin Owens? Did I misread what happened at Mania? Wasn't Kevin Owens kind of just pissed at Jake Paul for being a dick to his friend after beating him? Because that's how I read what happened there. Because like Kevin Owens beats him, and then Jake Paul's just kind of a dick and turncoats out of nowhere, and and Kevin Owens is like, "Fuck you, dude." Sammy's still my friend. And now they're still in a feud, which doesn't make any sense. Like you said, not no real reset. Uh, Bailey versus uh, Bianca should be a great match. At least they're doing something with Bailey. Like Mania. <laughs> Un- unlike Mania. It's like Mania, where you get to share parts with uh, the the wonderful and humble Hulk Hogan and Tyus O'Neil, and then get your ass kicked by the fucking. Uh, the sisters, um, the Bellas, kind of get your ass kicked very lightly because it's not like they were in like any kind of gear to produce an ass whipping. <laughs> so uh, that was so fucking awkward. But whole was the all of the host stuff was very awkward. You should just had Titus O'Neil host it, and then like you know randomly run into the, like a Cameron Grimes or an R Truth and do those kind of segments. That that entire the pirate shit. The only good thing that came out of the pirate stuff was uh, that, that, that tweet you sent me with Iron Sheik being like, Hulk Hogan, you look like a fucking jabroni. <laughs> I, I think that they should have called upon uh, Tampa's true number one son, uh, the savior of Tampa, uh, Mr. Tom Brady. He should have hosted it with Titus O'Neil. <laughs> yeah, Tom Brady doesn't want any part of that shit. He's like, he's got better stuff to do. He's throwing super trophies boat to boat. He's like, he's like, why is Ron calling me? <laughs> Dude, bro, guess what, man? They want you to host WrestleMania, man. It's going to be fucking awesome. I did it last year. It was fucking great. I'm not doing that. And then he just hangs up on Gronk. He's like, I'm just going to go hang out with my hot wife and mouth kiss my children. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jesus. <laughs> that's right. Fuck you, Tom Brady. Jets fan for life. Well, yeah, I, I'm hoping that stuff starts gearing up after that pay-per-view so we can get to some new storylines. I would love to see, you know, Big E and Kevin Owens fighting for the IC belt. I would love to see a lot of different lineups. Uh, how about a long feud with Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins, you know, going forward? Um, there seems like there's lots of options. I'm curious, after Cesaro loses, who the next person for Roman's title will be, and when exactly we'll we'll hear one day the dun 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 and watch as fucking um, Paul Heyman's eyes just burst out of his head. That's what I'm wondering. But uh, until that happens, 
Should should Brock just come out to hate me now? Because every time he's not in wrestling, people are like, where the fuck is Brock? But when he's there, they're like, why is there so much Brock? <laughs> he's just he's such a dick. He's not there enough to be a wrestler. <laughs> but then when he's gone, he's like, man, it'd be awesome to see Bobby Lashley versus Brock. <laughs> You're like, you can't have it both ways, dude. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, um... I had one other uh, the 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 Big E stuff that that's a little bit weird. Like, what does that mean for Apollo Cruz? And and also was Babatunde on uh, that? That's his name, right? Babatunde was he on um, SmackDown at all? Yeah, he was on SmackDown, and he actually cut a promo with a Nigerian accent. <laughs> okay. And how about one one question from Raw? How about two weeks? No AJ Styles. What the hell's going on? They just won the tag titles. Maybe maybe he's just I guess I don't know, nursing something. I have no idea, honestly, no clue. Why did you put AJ in the tag division? I'm glad he's a Grand Slam champion, but I want to see him feuding singles. I don't care about him in a tag team with a giant. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you, but they gave us this cool moment of almost being a complete fucking monster, and we haven't seen him for two weeks after Mania. Makes no sense, man. The the things they've been doing post-Mania, the choices like, oh, we brought back the Viking experience. Yeah. Oh, Reginald's back this week. Like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, guys. Like, really, nothing? You don't got anything. But I will say, the Aleister Black promo... Even though I did not like that he was kind of going after everyone and kind of being a heel, the new darkness, him wearing these cool fucking sunglasses, you know, and just it's kind of going, it makes him look more like he's going to be a hitman, like he's going to be this guy that's going to completely crush everyone that's got this dark occult obsession. But I hope they don't fuck that up because they probably will. So the the real question is, does he show up with an eye patch when he has his next match? I hope he shows up with a, with an eye patch over the sunglasses. <laughs> that would be amazing, and he just yells "Solid Snake" every time he does a big move. Snake, no. Sorry. All right. Well, I guess that's our show, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. We enjoy doing it for you guys every week. So this is three hours of goodness for you guys to just enjoy over three hours of goodness. Um, like I said, uh, you know, RIP to Shock G. Chris, maybe I can get you to put like a little bit of same song for our, for our outro. Um, if it's not too much of a pain in the ass or something. But uh, love the show. Say goodbye to all the lovely people so we can get the funk out of here. Thank you all the listeners out there. If you want to talk to me on Twitter, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton. If you want to talk to me on Facebook, you can make Christopher.r.patton. And uh, I'm also on Instagram, same thing as the Twitter handle. As I've said multiple times, not a big photo guy. So you're probably just going to see pictures of cute animals. <laughs> that's just that's just how I roll. Um, everyone, enjoy wrestling. Be nice to one another. And uh, Dane, man, have, have a great weekend, bud. Thanks, man. You too. You guys, go to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. On Google or any of your downloadable platforms, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, pretty much all of your basic uh, listening platforms. You can find our episodes every week 
We usually record them on Saturdays and have them out by Sunday or Monday. So we review all the shows for all of our new listeners. Thank you guys. Come back. Definitely all of our old listeners. We love you. Geekfiesnation.com. News articles over everything geeky, uh, as well as all all of our information for our different social media platforms. When it comes to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Geek Fives Nation, uh, join the conversation. Join Geek Fives Nation. We can have a conversation. You can find me at Dane Alves on Facebook and Dane Alves Forty Two on Twitter, and uh, let's engage in some some constructive, wonderful talk with no bigotry or just aggression at all. In any sort of way. I'll try. Anyways, you guys have a good one. And peace out. Let the Geek Fives be with you. All that lovely stuff. Peace and love, people. I like to rock and you can't stop this Tupac, go ahead and rock now this Now I clown around when I hang around with the underground Girls used to frown, say I'm down when I come around Gas me and when they pass me, they used to diss me Harass me, but now they ask me if they can kiss me Get some fame, people change, wanna live their life high Same song, can't go wrong if I play the nice guy Claiming fame must have changed now that we became strong I remain still the Why same, too? cause it's the same song It's the same song Same old song, y'all Song. Oh, no, no, no.